Welcome, everyone. See you next mission. This is SNGP 12. I'm your host, David Rad, formerly of Games Industry Biz, Industry Gamers, and Gamer Feed. With me, as always, is Tuesday. I am Tuesday. I'm the one person who's super hyped to be in the horror movie. So, like, the person in the background, or you're super hyped to be, like, the hot blonde who's about to be killed? The person in the background who's like, yo, is that Jason? This is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) You really love that one line before you get murked and Yes. Like, this is so cool. Please, sir, will you murder me? (laughs) Will you sign my organs with your machete? (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the cool things I heard about Jason Takes Manhattan uh, is that the actor, like, they, they filmed a few things in Manhattan. They mainly filmed in canada because it's a cheap horror mm-hmm. movie but like this there were a few scenes in, in in manhattan that they filmed outside and the actor who played jason in that movie stayed in character so like you know if anybody mm-hmm. was if any like civilian was wandering too close he would like you know suddenly turn and give them a glowering look and they would all scream and run for cover and that <laughs> that sounds like the, actually the coolest part of that entire movie since i've heard the rest of it is actually pretty bad Oh yeah, I have seen that movie. It is absolutely terrible. Never watch that movie. <laughs> I, I've I haven't uh, watched a full one of those, but I but I've re- read a recap. Uh, watched the I think it was the uh, Cinemasker re- recap, which was actually okay. a very nice recap of them. And they're like a lot of horror franchises, a lot of ups and downs. But anyways, yes, yes. <laughs> Putting aside horror movie franchises. Let's get to our housekeeping for the week. And I wanted to note, uh, in addition to our discussion about rogue lights and rogue likes, and uh, and I did enjoy that discussion. But one thing that I left out that I was that I meant to keep in is that I, my first encounter with someone playing a true rogue like, and that was in college. Like I knew somebody in college who had downloaded Hacknet. And mm-hmm. was playing that a bit for like a couple months, and I got familiar with it. And uh, and this was about 2000 or so. And I feel like college students were probably still the general population of people who played at that point. Like uh, even the term roguelike wasn't in the greater vernacular at that point. And those sorts of games weren't super popular. And like Hacknet itself, I could tell that is the game where that has the reputation of the developers think of everything and that like there's a lot of dynamic actions you can take in the game. But at the same time, it's still this ASCII-based top-down dungeon crawler. Mm. And I saw him playing it. I knew it wasn't for me. And who knew that the influences of that game would be so heavily felt now. It's a really weird thing, like how much the influences of those sorts of roguelikes have just completely blown up in a odd and end around way, mainly due to Spelunky, as we found, but and yeah, yeah, that really brought it into different terms. And then Isaac totally blow it out. And now we have crazy things like Returnal, which is very roguelite inspired. If it is, not fully a roguelite itself. I, I would actually say it is, since it is it is fully run base. Mm. And another thing that 
I wanted to mention a little while ago, and we didn't get a chance to, was the Platinum event a couple weeks ago, where they had oh, yeah. World of Demons, their mobile games, whole Cresta, and the wonderful 101 Remastered DLC, but not Bayonetta 3, Project JG, or Babylon's Fall. Yeah, so nothing really exciting. Like, I mean, I guess the um, Wonderful 101 DLC is kind of exciting, but it's definitely not what we were hoping to see. No, not at all. And honestly, I mean, to their credit, one thing I like about a lot of online conferences now is that companies will set expectations by saying, we will not be talking about this, or Mm -hmm. we are going to be talking about this. They said that they would be talking about those games. They mentioned not at all those other games I mentioned, but still it is still mildly distressing for me. And I think for both of us that like, we haven't had a good Bayonetta three proof of proof of life in a while. Yeah. And I still want to know what project GG is beyond that teaser trailer. That's actually in the same situation as Bayonetta three and for Babylon's fall. I'm just morbidly curious. Anyways, I cut you off there. Oh, no, you're good. Yeah, um, I was just going to note that both Project GG and um, Bayonetta, uh, Bayo 3, only have that one cinematic trailer um, for both of them. Uh, so, like, with, with Project GG, I'm okay with that right now. Sure. I think that that's something that um, can use a lot of or a little time in the oven still. Uh, it's clearly just a proof of concept. It's even going with the um, stereotypical game that is in development uh, title of Project, yes. uh, and then the name. But with Bayo Three, oh man, that hurts. That that stings. Like I, at, at this point, I we're not we're absolutely not getting it this year. Um, no. I I don't know when we'll see it next. <laughs> I'm hoping it has not been canceled. I mean, I know that they keep saying that work is be work is progressing well, but like at some point, you know, if work was progressing so well, we would see a product. Show me a picture of Bayonetta holding up today's newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, there is still no news. That's why I say <laughs> proof of life trailer in that. We just haven't gotten that, and there's just been too much up and down from Platinum. Yeah, and I understand why Bayonetta, like it's going to be shown at a direct, like it's being published by yeah. Nintendo. They're going to control the marketing. That much I'm not surprised about. And Project GD, yeah, like I think there's going to be more time. And even though I'm not really looking forward to Babylon's Fall that much, I'm still I still want to see more about it. Like I'm still morbidly curious. And in a very Japanese developer live stream sort of way, like it was two hours and 45 minutes. And most of it was just talking. Most of it was just Kamiya and some other people. And I think some localizers just having a chat. And I mean, I definitely did not watch all of it uh, or even the vast majority of it. I kind of skipped around. But yeah, I personally don't get the uh, appeal of a lot of those things. But But it's what they do regardless. But yeah, I'm... Still worried, still waiting for more news. I mean, they're the lights are still on apparently, it's, but it's just like the opacity in news about it is just distressing. Yeah, yeah, and like um, to go with your comment on um, these press conferences saying exactly what they will and won't talk about, um, and how this panel was along a lot of chatting, is that with something like platinum, it can kind of be interesting. But at the same time, I feel like with them outlining exactly what they were going to show off, 
that I, I feel like there wasn't a whole big audience for a lot of those things, particularly for Wonderful 101. That game, that was a game that was remastered and released last year. Yeah. Like I like yeah the the DLC announcement was a surprise, but it's not like that wasn't gonna pull in people. Like if like if they had said oh first gameplay of Project GG or we have a special witchy surprise or something like that, that would have pulled in an audience. Like so I I guess it was smart that they didn't like do anything like that. They kind of set expectations, but at the same time, it was still a bummer. Yeah yeah, still waiting still holding out hope but putting all of that aside we'll get to what's lighting up our system in the proper order and i'll just lead by saying i have spent much of the time playing samus returns i took a trip so i took my 3ds with me and that is going to be a feature topic as mentioned in last week's podcast. So I'm not going to be talking about my experiences in depth, but I will just say about the length, it kind of caught me off guard. And I looked it up on how long to beat, which is a great resource. And I think it's actually the longest 2D Metroid game. I believe that is correct. I mean, and and that's even if you want to include something like Other M as a Two like that's most that's mostly a two D Metroid game, so I'm going to count that as a two D Metroid game. Mm. Like that game is about ten hours. Samus Returns is at least a dozen hours, I would say, for most people. I I'm going to push beyond that, and I think that caught me off guard because it is longer than Zero Mission and Fusion combined. Like, really? Yeah. Like, both of those games are very nice, compact little experiences. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that. Like, they have very short stories. Like, they are, they trade in not having too much filler. And and even uh, Super Metroid is not too much longer. Like, that's only about a seven, eight-hour game. Not very, not especially long. Zero Mission and Fusion are, like, five hours each. But... I was just expecting it to be not quite this long. So it is what it is. It's, it is certainly very big. Yes. But the rest of my impressions are going to wait until the, the topic. And I've been taking extensive notes and I definitely have thoughts on the whole game, but Hmm. So what has been lighting up your system this week, Tuesday? Yeah, I can uh, finally bring close to uh, the Boyfriend Dungeon Saga. Excellent. I finally beat that game. Um, and uh, ooh, it's hard to summarize how I feel about that. <laughs> um, I had praised the writing of the dating sections. And I will go forward with saying that, yes, they are still very well done. The first time that I played it um, and talked about it on the pod, I mentioned connections to Persona 3 with um, very similar elements to the um, social links in that game. I I still kind of feel that way, specifically in uh, Persona 3 and uh, Persona 5 for you, because you have played that game. The social links with your party members um, like advance their abilities in combat. And and that is very similar to the way that they it works in Boyfriend Dungeon, such that when you get to the end 
um, you get like a better special skill. I can't quite remember what the skill for the one that I was pursuing most was because I, once I maxed her relationship, I honestly haven't used her at all. The max skill from the vampire that I mentioned, when you max him out, I believe you heal from some some of the bleed hits, but I, I was interested to see the end of two of those relationships. I As I mentioned, I completed the first person that I was pursuing. She was an artist. She had an interesting story, and I completed the vampire's um, dating routes. I was a little confused, I will admit, because I don't know if it's a gift that you get for like finishing one relationship or if it was just because of this one person i don't know that i'll find out because i uh, i'll get to that in a second but when i finished the artist's path uh, she gave me an item that then allowed for whatever i was in a dungeon the uh dating to have um a special essentially double xp so your um dating candidates would get to like you a lot quicker Nothing like that happened when I beat the vampires, when I completed the vampires route. So I don't know if it, again, I don't know if that's just something that you get the first time or if, or if each candidate save for that vampire has a gift at the end. Um, in the Persona series with the social links, when you uh, finish a social link, you do get an item that allows you to fuse a special persona of that um, arcana, which, which is like the most powerful of that arcana. And that's really the only way to get some of those personas. So I was thinking it would be something like that, but I'm not entirely sure because I've only done those two. That being said, I think the artist's route got a little weird at the end. Um, like her big conflict uh, throughout her dating route was that her ex was kind of following her around. She wasn't entirely upset with him. He, he was just like there and like kind of still in her life and she wasn't cool with that. Um, and then in one of the dates, um, you vandalize a building with her um, artistically. <laughs> and then at the end of that route, you find uh, her ex-boyfriend, who was also an art vandal, um, invites you into the gang that she used to be in. So you can either accept or decline, and like that's that. I, I don't know how I feel about that, because the big conflict throughout her story was that her ex-boyfriend won't leave her alone. And she still enjoys his company, but it's like, but I'm here now. So it was a, it was a v weird uh, heel face turn for me. But I did like that item that makes uh, candidates like me a lot faster. So that was that was okay, I guess. The vampires route I liked a lot more because early on in his route, people are kind of warning you, like, hey, maybe stay away from this guy. He kind of is a jerk. And you come to meet him and get to know him, and he's a nice guy. But then at the end of his route, he says, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I I know that I have feelings for you. I know that you have feelings for me. Uh, but I'm a vampire. I'm going to live forever, and I can't turn you. I, I don't, I don't want to bear that responsibility. So then he leaves. And I, I liked that there. And it was nice, because um, then he texts you on, on the video game phone and is like, Hey, I'm sorry. I hope you understand. And it does give you a few options, such as, like, don't talk to me ever again, or I understand, but I still love you, and stuff like that. So that that was well-written. Um, I liked that. I think that was, like, of course not realistic, because vampires are not real. <laughs> but I, I think that was a very mature uh, writing um, style that they picked for that. Now, as far as the gameplay goes, still don't like it. <laughs> 
I really wish I did like it more. Um, I did hint that I got new weapons at the end of my last dungeon, and I did, and they play a little bit differently, and I like that. Um, there is one that is a um, spear that you can chuck and retrieve, so that offers a little bit of gameplay difference, and then there are brass knuckles, which are essentially claws, so those are also pretty okay. But again, the gameplay is very simplistic, and... Um, I I started the second dungeon knowing that it was the final dungeon, and I was like, I want to try an experiment. I I got to the tenth floor of the dungeon on my first go, and there are twelve floors. So I really wanted to beat the dungeon the first try, but unfortunately, I was not able to. Um, but I it only took me a couple tries, and to me, it like kind of further solidified this like you guys call yourself a rogue like, but you really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I eventually beat the dungeon. There was a weird boss that, like, was, again, very simplistic. And then there was, like... Because the big thing about the about Boyfriend Dungeon is that it's, like, all about um, how your character grows and changes. And uh, it's weird when you do that to a self-insert character. But then, like, it's... The boss is a heart, and then you go inside and you talk to, like, your heart's representation of your fear of intimacy... Uh, which was, like, not a thing before. So that was weird. And then there was just a final boss that, like, a different final boss that I watched. I I wasn't sure that it was happening, but I watched. And once you get to the final stage, there are just projectiles that come in at him. And if you just, like, if you just avoid them, the projectiles hit the boss and kill the boss. And that's the only way to beat the final boss. So your agency is completely removed. And I did not like that one bit. So overall, the writing was fun. Uh, the characters were well-written. They're, again, it was like a celebration of diversity. I'm all for that. But man, oh man, is that gameplay uh, weird. Like, it's, it's a strange thing. Because I, I feel like I got my dollar per hour's worth out of it. But, like, a game launching with two um, 12-floor dungeons feels wildly unfinished. Like, if there were, like, three 50-floor dungeons, I'd be able to excuse that. But, like, just 24 floors for the entire game is kind of not great. And, like, the thing is, is that, like, the incentive is to go and mature your relationships with all the weapons. But I'm like, I don't care for the combat, and I don't want to see the same two floor patterns for another five hours so probably not going back to that game uh but for what it was it was a unique idea i dig it i dig it just wish it was a little bit better wish it was a little bit more polished off and wish it was done a little bit more thoroughly that's completely fair i need to know for this artist x was he depicted as an axe or did he have an axe i feel like that would have been perfect like her x is an axe no, unfortunately, um, he did not have a weapon form, but <laughs> there was someone, which, let me let me rant about this. There was, like, <laughs> this big middle-of-the-summer event that, like, throughout the beginning of the game, your cousin is taking you on dates so that you meet these weapons and they hang out, and um, that's cool. Um, and then he's like, yeah, big 4th of July, super romantic, I'll introduce you to my ex, who is an axe. And he's like, yo, I'm going to hang out here soon. And then he falls out of the game. 
Like, why would you go through that just to have him go away? So, falls out of the game. What do you mean by that? Like it, like he clipped through the world, or what happened? There, there are some glitches that I would like to talk about as well. But um, he like shows up, and then he just like doesn't appear ever again. Okay. That being said, there are some glitches that I did notice. Um, there were a couple times where um, my character, when I was going through the dungeons, would just like get locked in like one of the states of like a weapon attack. So whenever I would move, it was just like moving a chess piece, and there was just like no movement to it. It was really weird. Throughout a lot of the text conversations, because I was just focused on doing the dungeon stuff, a lot of them would end up lagging behind, and then there are certain positions where you're supposed to respond to the person who texted you, but it, the prompt would never pop up. So there was also a little bit of lack of polish in that game. But yes, I was also I was also um, bummed that they went through and they animated this whole transformation sequence for an axe, and then he just goes away and doesn't come back. That's disappointing. And also for little Miss Artists, like her talking about how awesome her her ex is i was thinking during all this you'll have to excuse me for this i was like oh is this this hitting a little too close to home for you tuesday Baby woman. <laughs> uh, i'm sorry i i just had to say that but no 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 worries it was good <laughs> but yeah that was a game that's intrigued me ever since you mentioned it it's unfortunate that it obviously doesn't live, live up to its full potential, but that obviously just happens sometimes. But Yeah, I mean, I, like, I'm glad that we live in the indie sphere that we do now, because a game like this would never get a chance in like 2005, 2006, 2007. But like, it got a chance now. I think it needs a little bit more time in the oven. Um, I hope that it is successful enough to um, warrant um, a future game so that they can polish out some of the kinks, pol- ramp up the combat, ramp up the dating candidates. I know that they said that there are a couple more that they are working on um, to implement in the future um, through a free update. Um, but I, I would really just like to see a bigger game with um, a lot more scope. Yeah, that's very does sound a little proof of concepty in some ways. Yeah, I, I would I would very much so say that it is proof of concept state right now. If that's all your your thoughts on on boyfriend dungeon, where we put that to bed, yeah. Then the other thing I played this week was a little bit of Fire Emblem: Dawn of Radiance, and the mission I just got to at the start of the mission there is a tutorial about doors, so they tell you how doors work. <laughs> I'm not kidding; they're more like okay, like in order to open a door, you need a key. If you don't have a key, you can have a thief. Or if you don't have a thief, you can break it down if you want to. They have. It's funny how, like, even the the t- tutorial gal who gives the tutorial, she's written with a very particular tree, Nintendo Treehouse voice. And like for the third th- one, she was like, you know, you know, no, please don't fall asleep. Like, there's there's a third way to open doors. So that was very mildly amusing. But uh, yeah. and then the next mission there was. Oh yeah, then they tutorialize capturing a point, seizing a point, which is how you complete certain missions. Mm-hmm. And again, like we're heavily tutorializing everything. And now, however, at this point, I've reached the point where I can't bring everybody 
on every mission, which is just as well because like there's a lot of dead weight that I don't want to use, and just having them there would honestly mean that I would have to be worrying about them and moving them around anyway. So I'm I'm glad they're not there. But also in the realm of you know how I noted that it's good that you can't. Well, it's good that I'm using a guide because that tells me who is going to stay in the party for long term, who's useful, who's not. And I got my first Cavalier, but like she is going to leave, I guess, after this this mission that I'm doing now. And she doesn't show up mm. again until the third chapter, I think. And she starts off very low level. Like apparently her growth growth is good. So she's one of those characters that like if you're extremely dedicated and feed her a lot of experience that I guess she can be okay, but she's generally not worth it. And I will say about experience, another thing and just like all of the folds to the systems in this game, you get general battle experience, like which is something that you dole out at your base. So that is another thing that you get to manage along with like different skills that you can potentially get as items to uh, equipped to people and they have a different and depending on their level and other factors they can have a certain number of points to equip those skills since like to give an example like a skill might be 15 points and a character might have 20 points available to devote to skills but there are just again like so many systems the experience system it was intriguing to see that like that's actually something that i think was introduced in this game like Again, showing how like this is peak system complexity in Fire Emblem. Like there are definitely a ton of different things that have been bolted onto the game, but yeah, I'm not sure it's necessarily to the betterment of the whole experience. And you know, I've said before, I the game the series got kind of a mild reboot, and I think it needs it. But yeah, I'm. I've got far more VODs to watch of friends playing various visual novels. So, like, I will definitely have more of that to do over the weekend. So I will almost certainly play some more uh, Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn and report back. It's actually been bad. Like, the past two weekends, like, the week before, when I was available, like there wasn't any recording of these different visual novels. But as soon as I have plans, have a friend down, and then had to travel this past weekend, like then they recorded a ton of stuff. So I've just been struggling to catch up. But yeah, it mm. it is what it is. I'm available this weekend. I will be doing more of that and talking about the game. And I. No, it's, it sounds like a lot of grousing. I mean, I guess, like, the experience is like, you know, it's a totally okay Fire Emblem game, I guess. It's just it's just the issues with every Fire Emblem game I had, like, compounded with the, the fact that, like, I really feel like I have to be careful about who I use and, and when. And, I mean, it's typical of the Fire Emblem formula at this point is to basically, like, you just slowly accumulate a bunch of party members as you go on and you decide who you want to use and who you don't use. But the fact that like people bop in and out of the party really adds a layer of like, it's not just like, okay, do I like this person? Do I think they're useful? It's also a matter of like, are they even going to stay around long enough to be good? Mm -hmm. And like I said, the game doesn't telegraph that at all over who is going to remain other than 
the central characters, Sooth and Micaiah, obviously. they, And also having... Like, Micaiah is kind of the Lord character of all this. Like, having her be a mage means that the Lord character is extra vulnerable in this game. Yeah. <laughs> and requires a lot of protection, but... Oh, and also I discovered that, like, most characters, when they hit, hit level 20, they go up to whatever their prestige class is. Uh, for Makai, it is story-driven. So she is actually maxed out at this point, so I guess I'm going to just not give her anything until, I guess, the end of part one. And mm. wait for her to prestige, and then I guess I'll give her experience again. <laughs> Sit in the back of the battlefield, Makai. <laughs> yeah, it's... Which is which is just as well. Like I mean, her her magic, her light magic is not without uses, but like she's definitely not the most useful party member. That is reserved to, for my Axeman Nolan, who can basically kill everything in one hit at this point. I may have overfed him or whatever, but I've hey, I he's he's with the party for the long term, so like I I don't mind if he's especially useful, but. That's the other thing. Very brief what's been lighting up my system since I'm not talking much about Samus Returns. What about you? What else has been lighting up your system this week, Tuesday? Yeah, last weekend I think it was. Yeah, it was last weekend. I um, got a little bit of gameplay from Getsafuma Den, uh, which is a roguelike that I'm looking forward to. And I decided instead of keeping watching that, I was going to go back to playing Dead Cells because it is very similar. Do get to Fumiden. So I have played uh, quite a bit of that lately. I have a love-hate relationship with Dead Cells um, in, in ways that um, I don't feel that way about Isaac and Enter the Gungeon. Dead Cells uh, can be... If, if you're not going for the crazy pants like final ending of the game, I, I have beaten Dead Cells. Uh, if, if Again, if you're not going for the final stuff. The way that Dead Cells structures itself is that once once you reach the final boss of the game, uh, your first time, and you beat them, you get a um, what is called the boss cell, which is essentially then the next difficulty level. Uh, so I am working on the difficulty level um, of number two. There's um, no boss cells, then there's one through five. So I'm working on one boss cell. And I, I don't like how the game incentivizes playing on higher difficulties to get more items. One of the things that I really liked about Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon, well, I mean, not so much Enter the Gungeon because it doesn't have a difficulty system in it, but Binding of Isaac does not lock a whole lot of items behind harder difficulties. It does for some, which is fine, um, but like keeping much of the game behind a higher difficulty is not my favorite thing. Um, that being said, I have just kind of been toying around with the weapons and the um, new skills and stuff that came out in recent DLC that I haven't played a whole lot of. Dead Cells has been very nice about updating uh, the game to keep content fresh, as well as rebalancing items and adding in DLC. Very recently, the best run that I had, um, that I was actually playing a little bit of before we started recording today, had a uh, crossbow that uh, was ice-based. So um, you would hit your enemy with the arrow, and then it would have an alternate fire that would just be like a... I don't know exactly what it was. I'm going to say it was a bullet that would just like... The arrow would freeze the enemy and the bullet would shatter them. So that created a great 
run for me. Uh, being able to lock enemies in place and just take them out swiftly, I loved that. It, it let me see some new stuff, it let me play around with a new toy. Um, it kind of reinvigorated my interest in getting more of the items and more of the um, passives to unlock. Just because when you're having a good Dead Cells run, it feels really good. Uh, when you're not, and I have a lot of not good ones, then it just makes me not want to play the game. <laughs> but I, I really do like that Ice Crossbow. Um, I'm going to keep looking for more fun stuff to do in that game. The The only thing, the only comment that I have on Dead Cells and it's not so much happening anymore, but when the game came out, everyone kept saying that it was a Souls-like. It is not a Souls-like. The cells that you use to get new items and stuff, you lose them when you die. And that's that's the only similarity between um, Dark Souls and um, Dead Cells. Uh, so, I again, not a Souls-like. Stop calling it a Souls-like, people. <laughs> Can you go back and pick them up later? Nope, you cannot. Once once you die and lose your cells, uh, they are gone. Okay, then it's not a souls like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People are just like, oh, it's it's just like it's just like Dark Souls. You lose your stuff when you uh, die, and it's like that's a roguelike. That does sound like a. Ro- it's run based, right? Yes, yes, it it's is run based, and things are randomized in the levels, right? Yes, yes. Okay, yes, okay that sounds like a rogue light to me, like as opposed to a soul like. <laughs> and I do want to in a future topic talk about defining uh, a souls like among other things. A, that's a bit more pernicious than uh, roguelite. like there are like as we noted there's entire conferences devoted to like talking about the nature of the genre of roguelite and a lot of people put a lot of thought into it, but I feel like Souls-like is something that is a distinct genre, but at the same time, people don't know how to describe it properly. Kind of like how I honestly feel like a lot of people don't know how to describe Dark Souls properly in a lot of things. Like, for a little while, like, I was honestly put off by the talk around, like, what the appeal of it of Dark Souls was. It's just like, you know, yeah, you, you die and you lose all your progress. It's great. I was just like, that that actually doesn't sound fun, but... No, it's not. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, like, if you're strategic, like, and you're smart, you shouldn't die too terribly much. I think people focus too much on the fact that it, that Dark Souls is not a heavily checkpointed game. The way that mm-hmm. when the game came out in 2011, most AAA games were. Yes. So I feel like that stuck out to people. But that is not the virtue of dark souls that is not the reason i would point to and other people saying like you know no you should go on blind not use a guide like that's another one of those things that again like people will talk about the appropriate experience people say you shouldn't level past 99 or whatever for no particularly good reason like there's a lot of rules that some people have applied to the best experience of those sorts of games that i don't conform to it all and have generally liked those games so i don't put a lot of value in those <laughs> evaluations shall we yeah. say yeah yeah um to comment on that as far as like if i were to recommend a roguelike to someone i would actually tell them to look up some of the end game items and like uh, if as long as they're comfortable with spoilers because that's what really kept me going through enter the gungeon and binding of isaac when things were getting really tough is that like for 
Binding of Isaac, I saw Mom's Knife, which was a an item that in the meta is not that great, but when you know you're starting out, you see this weapon that has like just massive damage and is like it changes the way the game plays. That's something that you want to get for Enter the Gungeon. Um, seeing, uh, reading about items like the platinum bullets that um, get stronger each enemy you kill. That's something that you know you want to play around with. Um, as far as that goes, like absolutely use guides absolutely look up this stuff beforehand it's gonna make as as far as i'm concerned specifically with roguelikes end game items are really what's gonna keep me going through the game and like knowing that yeah it's gonna be hard but there are some ways to mitigate that yeah what you talked about with dead cells with sometimes not having uh, a good experience it's funny how when you mentioned that, I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, that's honestly my exact experience with Enter the Gungeon. Most mm-hmm. of the time, I felt like my runs were just kind of wasted time because I just wasn't getting the right items. And I was only playing them for practice. Right, right, yeah. That can be the case in roguelikes. I feel like Dead Cells on higher difficulties just becomes that completely, and I dislike that. <laughs> like, I, I like the feeling of progress. And, like, that's the hard thing about Dead Cells, is that, like, after you beat um, the boss once and you get one Dead Cell, or one boss cell, excuse me, um, the only way forward is to get more. And there's no, like, the items that you're getting and unlocking don't feel like there's enough, at least to me, don't feel like there's enough incremental strength increases. Like, that was the really nice thing about Enter the Gungeon is that some of the weapons, when you unlock them, you can feel that they're better. You can feel that they're stronger. I don't feel that way with some of the items in Dead Cells. That's fair. Like, isn't it more stat-based directly? Yes. Like, you'll just, yeah, it, it's, it'll, it's, it's more like an RPG in that sense, just a direct RPG. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, very, very heavily based off of numbers and DPS. Like, every item comes with, like, the attack... And then it shows you the damage per second uh, value for it. And yes, you can get better versions of the same items. So like it'll go like, uh, for example, you'll have Cursed Sword 1, which will have like, let's say, uh, 28 damage and like maybe 58 DPS. Um, But then later on in the run, you could find Damage Sword or Cursed Sword 4, which has like maybe 120 damage and then uh, 250 DPS. So like you, you do get item upgrades throughout the run but like i i don't like that they're the same item i guess i i've really liked the variety and um insanity that can happen in isaac and gungeon with all of the different items that like the upgrade status can be questioned (laughs) that's fair it's a different sort of approach like i said about gungeon i didn't like how you could maybe due to circumstances completely beyond your control you can just get complete junk yeah that will torpedo run, but fun fact: there actually is a Gungeon item named Junk. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I have shot the chest and gotten Junk before, and I know there's a whole strategy around getting Sir Junkington. I think it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've read enough about the game to find out about like all the different meta layers, and yeah, definitely a point of criticism for. Gungeon is not the level of depth to it and the amount that you can still continue be getting like well over 100 hours but 
that is an appeal to other people and not to me. But mm-hmm. other people like Tuesday. But uh, yes, <laughs> other crazy people. <laughs> yeah. But to put all that aside, let's move over to SNGP News. And leading off, this might sound a bit dry, but it is very important. Takeshi Kababuchi, director in charge of semiconductors at Toshiba, told Bloomberg, the supply of chips remains very tight until at least September next year. In some cases, we may find customers not being fully served until 2023. This is relevant because it's may very well, in fact, affect video game consoles. Mm-hmm. Toshiba is a producer of that and a contractor. So uh, with manufacturers making daily calls to suppliers to make sure things are being delivered basically on time, like it is still obviously very typed. Like it goes into everything with the computer, which is almost any advanced device from laptops to consoles to even cars. But consoles in particular are something that's like, there's a lot packed into, particularly for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox series, there's a lot packed into a very small space. Mm -hmm. So there's an incentive, as Kamabuchi noted, to basically alter their circuit boards, and they may do this over the next year, to basically reduce required components. Sony's apparently like already kind of done a little bit of that on the new PlayStation 5 model that is quietly released. It's not a big upgrade or a change or anything. It's just basically them looking at things in the field and trying to reduce redundancy and things like that. And it maybe weighs like a few grams less. But like if you're dealing with a scale of like millions of units, reducing like even a dollar's worth of components can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kamibuchi noted, game console makers are among the customers making the strongest demands, and I'm sincerely sorry for their frustration as none of them have a 100% satisfaction. But yeah, like, basically, since the start of the pandemic, game consoles have been a very hot commodity. You can buy a Switch, but they have certainly been flying off the shelves. Yeah. Yeah. You can't easily buy a PlayStation 5, and even series Xbox Series consoles are in fairly high demand. And there's also, of course, like the NVIDIA RTX graphic cards, which are, if you think consoles are expensive, like, you know, hey, do you want to spend more than twice as much of it as a console for a graphics card? Because that's what you're going to have to do. Right. I'm actually glad you brought this up because, like, there and we'll go into it a little bit later as well but like i i feel like right now we're kind of sitting at a very weird point in the generation and the console generation that we're at because yes the xbox series and ps5 are available but not readily available so like a lot of these games i'm i'm glad that sony is doing it the way that they are so far at least um in making them uh, making a lot of the newer games available to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, but a lot of the games, like, if they were only on PlayStation 5, cough, cough, Returnal, that locks out a potential audience that can't get their hands on the system, uh, like myself. Like, there, I have called, um, I've actually gone to places in my hometown and places in the town over and places in the town over that 
seeing like, hey, you guys have any PS5s? And they're like, nope. And I'm like, you guys know when? And they're like, nope. So it's 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 a very strange thing. And like, yeah, Sony is reporting that they're sending out like massive numbers of PS5s that they're 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 moving numbers, but I feel like it's it's to a very specific subset of people that are then redistributing at a higher price. And like that's that's a whole nother problem completely. But it's like, yeah, maybe we should consider like finding a different way to make the console. Yeah, it's clearly a problem. Like, I mean, when these consoles get redistributed, it's not like Sony gets any of that money. And like, it's not a great situation for them. Like, you want to be able to meet demand, at least relatively. Mm-hmm. And you have less happy customers who are paying this extra money. And they're not, they're, they're A, not giving it to Sony, but also B, they're kind of annoyed that they feel like they're having to pay this upsell from yeah to somebody else so yeah hopefully that can be brought under control i know sony has talked about changing the chip shortages they will apparently i think this year they're set to actually start making money on the system itself like it it was it was close to that sale of the system itself like presumably if Mm. you buy any amount of software with the system, you will have made it a profitable transaction for Sony. But the Switch as well, like, has been in very high demand, for the most part kind of being met. I'm willing to bet that there's probably going to be some shortages this holiday season of the Switch OLED. I'm willing to bet that that is going to be in quite high demand. And this is just a guess, but I wonder if... The fact that there are all of these chips and semiconductor shortages, if that didn't influence Nintendo's decision to not have the internals change in the Switch OLED at all. You know, that's a, that's a really um, good point. That's something that I hadn't thought about at all. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Like, I mean, I feel like Nintendo sometimes can skip skips generations or two with these kind of pro versions of systems um they didn't do it with the game boy advance unless you count the sp but that was more of like a screen kind of change like kind of an oled upgrade as well as the ability to have a chargeable battery they did it with the ds though and they did it with the 3ds but like and we've talked about this a little bit before is that they don't necessarily have the biggest incentive to go for a pro console right now because, like, the Switches are flying off the shelves. The games that they've put out have been successful. Like they're like we talked about a few weeks ago, Mario Kart 8. Yes. No, 9. No, 8. No, 8. Eight, 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 eight Deluxe. Okay, 8. Okay, yes, 8 Deluxe is still one of the best-selling Switch games of all time. Like, they don't... There's not really this push for there to be a more powerful Switch console. Because it's already powerful enough as it is. It It... It came out the gates running Breath of the Wild, which is not the most technically impressive game ever, but it is somewhat of a beast in in certain ways that, you know, a handheld console has not necessarily done before. So I like it it wouldn't surprise me if that was one of the factors that made them say, hey, let's just not do it like it. It adds up more to just keep going with what they got than to take that risk that Sony and Microsoft are kind of facing right now. Well, it's more of a business consideration, like for them, to basically see it and go, like you know, we we're selling plenty. We 
we don't have to upgrade and maybe we'll just push it back to when we decide to release a successor system which again like i feel pretty confident three to four years seven to eight year lifespan that sounds about right yeah and by then they'll be able to more easily source something that's like you know hey like this is a full successor console that maybe can do complete 4k when it's in stand i don't know We'll we'll have to wait and see i'm just purely speculating though speaking of like power and various other issues why don't you lead us through the issues surrounding sonic colors ultimate and its launch this past week uh, yeah, so um, Sonic Colors Ultimate came out, and um game looks great! <laughs> no, there are a lot of problems that people are reporting. Um, I have seen a couple of these compilations on the internet now. Um, the biggest glitches that are the most egregious ones are, like, just... I, I don't know how to explain it other than, like, just the screen going through, like, recycled data. Like the like the screen will flash different colors. Um, I've seen some some glitches where it just like runs through a whole bunch of textures at the loading screen. So like um, stretched out versions of like character models just like hanging out on the screen that don't need to be there. Like there, I've seen Sonic's model like kind of flatten and stretch out or like turn into some weird looking thing that's not real. There has been glitches where um, the the platform that you're running on just stops existing and you die. So yeah, game's a little glitchy. Just a little bit. Um, I have seen Sega say that they um, are looking into these issues. Uh, social media manager Katie Krazan... I'm sorry, I'm butchering that last name. It's Krazanwski. Uh, hopefully I got that right, um, has stated that Sega is looking into the glitches and working on a patch for it. Um, I am seeing reports that there are glitches across all systems, including um, these visual glitches, um, as well as some crashing glitches, um, some just gameplay glitches where if you take on a certain power-up, you'll just stop moving mid-air uh, and then be launched through the floor uh, and then fall through a completely different level and die. So just... The game is not doing well. There has been uh, reports as well, though, that some of these glitches are either A, on emulated copies of the game, or B, have to be done, like, ha have to be triggered, um, specifically. I've seen reports that, like, it's just that sometimes the game doesn't have enough memory that if you go into uh, one of the world hubs and then go into a level right away, um, it kind of like runs through the data of each of the worlds. So it, it seems like there are ways around this, like just kind of giving the game some time to breathe or like getting out of level and getting back in and that should fix your problem. But oh boy, it's been rough. Um, of course, the biggest issue for facing this is uh, people with epilepsy. These flashing screens could potentially cause seizures. So uh, yeah, that's not good if your game launches like that. No, definitely not. I wanted to note this in part because earlier this summer, Skyward Sword HD came out, and that was a remaster of the game, and that was obviously done to a far higher quality. Now, it 
that game came out for a single system, so it had that advantage. But it was a remaster of a Wii game being brought forward. So, and it's another example of, I guess, Sega not being able to get out of its own way sometimes. Like, fans were very enthusiastic about this release, but unfortunately, this is kind of Sam thing sounds, but I feel like Sonic fans are maybe used to disappointment to a degree. Yeah. I will add, like, yes, there are glitches that affect every system. The Switch version seems to be the most affected by the various glitches. And I think part of it in, like, the cycling between the worlds and all that, I like, the Switch has the lowest amount of memory between, like, the PlayStations, the Xboxes, and generally most Windows consoles. So, mm. like, something that you can just kind of brute force with having enough memory to hold th- hold things in and cycle things in and out of memory just isn't quite as possible on the Switch. And I, I just want to note that with regard to, like, going forward, I, like... The it came out this year, uh, obviously a much less good game than Sonic Colors, but Bolon Wonderworld came out like, and that was also a game where like the Switch version was not the version you wanted to play, like just longer loading times, uh, mm. performance issues, things like that. And I just wonder going forward, like, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend that this hasn't been an issue uh, in the past, but like. It, and it's going to vary on the game, obviously, but, like, the, the Switch version of games, like, if we're going to have, like, wide system releases, which is obviously going to be on PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox One and Series, and Windows PC, and also the Switch, like, being that sixth sy- system in there that's generally going to be re- regarded as the least powerful system, like... I hope this doesn't become a trend of like us us talking about like the the bad switch port or like the bad switch version. Uh, yeah. And I mean like it, and again like it's not like there that hasn't cropped up with certain other games on different different levels like quite infamously like Bloodstained Ritual mm-hmm. of the Night like that that launch version was was really bad. Yes, yeah. To a point like I remember when a a friend like actually I think was planning to get that, and as soon as the reviews came out, I was I trying to wear them away. I was I was like, you know, don't get that version, don't get it. Uh, but they had digitally pre-ordered it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's impossible to say, but like I feel like now with these, which essentially like as compared to the the new gen consoles, it's essentially like two generations below that. So like, if certain games are going to be made like targeting that then porting backwards is going to be potentially even even harder to the switch i mean we we shall see like though i'm willing to bet that like uh the level of the power for the switch like which might say adequate right now like it's just kind of the way way of technology like you know maybe in a few years i mean now i'm sure you're you're like you know i'm fine with the switch like i'm perfectly happy with this maybe in a few years you'll be like you know eh, maybe maybe i'm ready for something a little bit more powerful something that can run things a little better mm-hmm. yeah yeah um to your comment of hoping that we don't end up talking about um the bad switch port so far the switch has been able to avoid things like this the Switch has been able to avoid the um, infamous bad Vita port kind of status of these games. I, I, I look to games like Doom and Doom Eternal, specifically uh, specifically Doom Eternal, because that runs 
particularly well on the Switch, um, almost surprisingly well. But there, there is a very real possibility that going forward, uh, we're going to see more of these bad Switch ports. And um, it's weird, because Bloodstained, like you said, it did launch very poorly. And um, that is actually the version that I have been playing most recently uh, with the new modes and stuff. And they work fine. It's definitely not going to be your uh, PS4, Xbox One version that you're playing when you boot up Bloodstained on Switch. But it's still playable. But going forward, we're going to run into things that are less patchable. So I think we're I think we're starting to tread the thin line of when are we going to like kind of start developing games specifically for Switch that are based on console big brothers. But we, we might still be a little while from that, uh, or just developers will do what they did with the PS3, Xbox uh, 360 era with the Wii, is just say, yep, nope, this game is only for these two consoles, and and that's fine too. But um, uh, again, hopefully that we do not see that uh, bad Vita port trend. I do want to <laughs> comment, we were talking about this earlier this week, um, and you mentioned uh, the e- it's easier to backport, and then... <laughs> I made a comment such as, well, it was a Wii game, so I wish that the focus was on the Switch, uh, to which you humorously said, as Tuesday, but that doesn't benefit me. (laughs) Uh, Which is very true. (laughs) Because, like, that's just kind of the thing when you do these sorts of multi-console releases, like, and I think the Wii U really suffered from this as well. Like, Yes. When it came out, like the 360 and PS3 were still growing concerns and obviously had much bigger audiences. But then, like, also the PS4 and Xbox One were things. And it's just like, okay, so this becomes the fifth system here. And it sold fewer than any of these other systems. I mean, like, that was the end of the Xbox 360 and PS3's life cycle, but there was still a potentially larger audience. So, like, I felt like the Wii often got the short end of the strip. Like, fortunately for the Switch, like people have actually bought Switches, so there is more incentive to actually, yeah. if you're going to release it on the system, make it halfway playable. But it's just kind of the reality of things that like certain things in development just end up ge- getting solved by brute force uh, horse horsepower of a console particularly for like a multi-system release. So if that's not there and like this switch, which is like, again, like notably less powerful than any of the, those other consoles or like most PC releases are going to be traded, then like uh, that's just going to be an issue because like, it just has a slower processor and, and less memory. But anyways, that will be a thing we'll have to see going forward, like how that evolves. And like you said, like, well, hopefully we'll not be too major an issue. I've noted, like, even uh, I haven't seen this personally, but I heard like some of the like even playing co-op Mario Golf on this on the same system, like or using some of the special abilities can cause the the game to chug a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like even showing like how even even first party start, hardware is starting to or software rather is starting to kind of reach the the limitations of the system. Yeah, yeah. Though I will say, like, Breath of the Wild 2, what they showed off, it looks absolutely amazing. Oh, for sure, yeah. Nintendo does have a good way of, with their first-party games, um, if it's something that they're confident in, they'll find workarounds. And I will say, having played 
Super Mario 3D World and the Bowser's Fury expansion, like that is a very nice looking game. They make very good use of the system's capabilities. And anybody who cares about anything Mario related is probably able to purchase that game, but I would definitely recommend that to them. Yes, I as well. But uh, speaking of for system-specific things, for Sony this past week, there was an initial announcement that there wasn't going to be an upgrade path for Horizon Forbidden West from PS4 to PS5, which seemingly contradicted some statements by Jim Ryan in the past. But... And and this was like from a like because this is a big AAA game like Horizon is getting like five different versions, uh, like a regular version, deluxe mm-hmm. version, a collector's version, whatever. But like it, it wasn't available outside of like a deluxe edition. But they, but Jim Ryan has since come out and and said that the offerings we confirmed in our pre-order kickoff missed the mark. Last year, we made the commitment to deliver free upgrades for our cross-gen launch titles, which included Horizon Forbidden West. Pandemic profound impact pushed Forbidden West out of the launch window we initially envisioned. We will still stand by our offer. Players who purchase Horizon Forbidden West on PS4 will be able to upgrade to the PS5 version for free. He also noted that basically for the next God of War, Gran Turismo 7, that will not be applying. Those are outside of the launch window and the upgrade will actually be ten dollars which is approximate to like the cost difference between those games at retail and this does bring up the interesting issue about like like what's the window for like delivering free upgrades like when, when should it be a free upgrade when should it not be like how many at like how much time elapses like when like and the answer is like you know there are no rules in that regard like uh, every company is making mm-hmm. their own rules so I would obviously, as a consumer of games, prefer that the upgrade to always be free, but I can understand from a business point of view, like why that's might not necessarily be the best thing for these, for the, for these companies to, to deliver. And after a certain amount of time, like the, the old gen won't be getting the versions anyways, but yeah, that was kind of a, a minor to, to do over the past week. Like, and incidentally, like when I, saw that the there was actually no a direct upgrade path my initial thought was just like you know they should just undo that and, and like and they said they were going to do the i was just like they should just make that free like they like this is a mistake and fortunately they were listening well enough and that is exactly what happened so yeah yeah that's smart to get some goodwill back yeah i was actually I'm I'm actually still kind of surprised that uh, we are getting some of these games with the upgrade path. I I know that uh, specifically GTA Five. I I believe that one has that as well. When that comes out, it's it's surprisingly consumer friendly <laughs> sometimes. Specifically, um, in regards to Sony with their PS4 to PS5 upgrade path, again because like a lot of the there there is somewhat of a shortage there. So, you know, someone can buy, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Spider-Man Miles Morales, someone can buy that on their PS4, and then when they finally get the shiny spanking PS5, they can just free upgrade that. That's very nice. But, but yeah, I was, I, I'm, I'm not surprised this is a move that's happening. I will say, I think $10 is a very fair price for that. It, it, like you said, it bridges the gap between the two versions, um, so that you can't quite cheese every game for uh, $10 less. 
But like, I, I think that's a fair enough price that like, if someone is willing to go ahead and um, get that upgrade, it's not going to be prohibitively expensive. It's not like purchasing the game again. It's it's something that is like enough of a let's think about it to do it. And it you know if it's a game that someone really likes and really wants to play, that'll definitely be worth it. Uh, if it's something that someone is just content with playing on the PS4, then that's fine as well. You know, I, I feel like... I, I agree. I would like these games not to be charged, but I think $10 is a okay price for it. Yeah, yeah, I can I can generally agree about that. It's something I can live with. And also add, like, with regard to games going forward, and that's an important thing to note, that, like, this is potentially cutting them off at the at the knees like if they have like two versions and it'd be like you know well like i, I can get the free upgrade path with the ps4 version and like obviously you you don't want to yeah. cut yourself off of the knees there oh yeah like for cyberpunk like that is offering a free upgrade like who knows if those new gen versions are coming this year my bet is no but we'll see yeah. But they are offering a free upgrade path, and I think for CD Projekt Red, they need to do that. It's not just that they offer that, but like yeah. they have burned so much goodwill that they they need to make good on that. Even though they'll probably take a bit of a hit because of that, like people like a PS4 version is the same as a PS5 version. But at this point, they're in the hole with people, and they need to they need to work their way out. Yeah, for sure. I think. I think like it's a nice PR move that way. Yeah, we <laughs> we keep coming back to the uh, Cyberpunk twenty. Yeah. Is it twenty seventy seven? Something like that. But yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree because of the sorry state that that game launched in. I think a free upgrade path is like well within their uh, best interest, and and it's the thing that they did. It's it's similar to at least what they did with The Witcher three is that they had a bunch of free content. Uh, and that that gave them a very good reputation. If they want to get back, they gotta keep doing that stuff. That's gonna get people, you know, to forgive them for uh, what happened uh, in December of 2020. Yeah, they people's hopes and expectations, <laughs> and even basic expectations of quality, were not met, and they're like I said, yeah. they're still in the <laughs> hole. And getting up to as I referred to patch 1.3. It's is up to the state that you would probably want a game to be at at launch. Like that's that's not good enough. Like eight months down the line, having it be where it should have been at launch. Yeah. And, uh, and yes, I and I realize I keep on returning to Cyberpunk 2077, but like it's always kind of in the back of my mind a little bit, and it's one of the more important and notable things. And if we had been doing SNGP at that point, I think we probably would have just done a full topic just talking about that launch and everything around it like i feel like it would have been important enough but yeah for sure i i do like the image of you uh just awake at 2 a.m on a random weekday thinking like i wonder what's happened with cyber 2077 today <laughs> i mean sometimes i will put it into google and see what comes out i'm not gonna lie <laughs> just to see like new takes or like because like there's still a very active community around it like there's still there's still eyes on the game so yeah but turning to sony news they did notably also pick up fire sprite this past week that is a uk uk based studio 
they developed for Sony VR titles, the Playroom, uh, the Playroom VR, and I believe something else. Run Sackboy Run. They also did that. Oh, okay. They're based in Liverpool. A lot of the staff was at SIE Studio Liverpool, which was former Cygnosis. So a lot of these people are actually veterans of Sony, and they're being brought back into the fold. It's even noted here in the official post by Herman Holst, saying quite a few members of Fire Sprite come from SIE Studio Liverpool, and we're thrilled to welcome them back. Fire Sprite is a creative, ambitious studio that is exceptional building incredible experiences that show off the potential for hardware, so on and so forth. The managing director of Fire Sprite said it was founded in 2012. They, incidentally, like right after SIE Studio Liverpool was closed, and they worked on titles like Wipeout, as noted. But yeah, they have been primarily VR focused, and this definitely shows that, like again, like Sony is staffing up in a very sony way like this is a company they've worked with before and we're obviously pleased with their output and even like a lot of the developers they have a relationship that goes back years and years and years so mm -hmm. and it also shows like probably more vr stuff is coming like even though the presentation this this past week like which is going to be our, our topic, I'll note, did not have any VR stuff, and they noted that, like, I think that is, like, year two, like, or should I say next year, is going to be, a, like, I'm willing to bet that they're going to be talking more about that, since, like, that is kind of a differentiator for them, since Microsoft isn't interested, and I don't think Nintendo seems to be terribly interested, and I don't think those Switch is powerful enough to really do that to begin with. No, definitely not. Because, like, the major issue for VR is, like, you have to render things twice. So. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, if, like, they have, they had their, um, Labo thing, which was, which offered some VR modes in some games, but it was mostly just, like, videos or, like, pieces of the experience, not a full-on experience itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was a very particular weird thing Labo was, but yeah. And to conclude, in PlayStation News, Famitsu reported that PlayStation Five has sold one million units in Japan. It took forty-three weeks, and apparently, the it did this faster than the PlayStation Four, which took a full year. This was forty-three weeks. That's about ten months. PlayStation 3 apparently reached it in nine months. The PlayStation 3 had a very weird long life cycle in Japan as compared to other parts of the world. But the standard disc version outsold the digital version 5 to 1, roughly. Uh, not too surprising. They like their physical media in Japan. But that is a good sign for Sony go going forward. Is like The Switch is obviously like going to be a powerhouse in Japan just because they love their portable game consoles there. But if you're established as the home console of choice and this kind of seems to be the uh, a sign of that then like like microsoft was making notions about like how they wanted the xbox series to be more primary in japan, in japan. but it, it is i mean i feel like that has been the story for the past 20 years yeah. and they've never quite done it like i feel like they scratched the surface with the xbox 360 since that had so much momentum early on and they even got some like japanese developers on board 
I believe it was Tales of Vesperia they got to release yes. on Xbox, Xbox 360. Blue Dragon. Shoot, what was that other RPG? There was another prominent JRPG that they got to come out. There was a Final Fantasy MMO on Xbox 360. Yes, Final Fantasy Eleven did. Yes. <laughs> Not 14, the I believe 11 is still going, but 14, the more prominent and newer one. But yeah, 11 also came there. But I feel like the momentum to do so fell away over time. And the Xbox One was dead in the water over there. And mm-hmm. yeah, like it, it basically like habits are very entrenched in, in Japan. And you have to really appeal to that audience. And also like there's a like, from what I understand from a business perspective, it's very personal. And one of the big things, like I know, like around the Xbox 360 area, part of the reason why there was a slight change is I want to say they hired the former president of Square Enix to be their, like their president of Xbox in Japan. So that really helped with reaching out personally because he was known and other people knew him. Mm. But I believe he has been gone for many years. So like, so yeah, like. I feel like Microsoft can make the make those motions. I wouldn't be surprised if this is going to be another generation where we see a lot of Japanese products are going to be as like a Switch or if a if and when a successor cons- console for Nintendo comes out and PS5 like and they're just going to give the Xbox a miss. I, I noticed that a lot out of games this past generation coming out of japan unless they were really big they would usually give xbox a miss yeah yeah but to go from that bit of business news to definitely the biggest piece of drama out of this past week why don't you tell us about what happened at tripwire interactive tuesday yeah yeah well background is that recently texas announced um stricter laws regarding abortion The CEO of Tripwire Interactive, John Gibson, on September 4th, uh, tweeted out, Proud of the U.S. Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often. Yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I feel it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. So, this was immediately followed with backlash from consumers and as well as some other developers there were a lot of consumers that were showing other members of the community who weren't as tech savvy how to um, essentially block the developers games from showing up on steam Uh, and they were taking a firm stance of we are no longer going to support tripwire interactive that was it happened quite quickly after uh the tweet was released I, I did see this tweet show up on one of my feeds as well, and I thought, that's a weird thing to say. The next day, Shipwright Studios, uh, who is a co-development service studio, uh, canceled any and all contracts with Tripwire Interactive on the 5th. So the second, <laughs> the day after he tweeted that, they said, uh, no, we kind of can't support this. And then finally, on September 6th, Tripwire Interactive announced that Gibson would be stepping down. Their website issued an official statement. His comments disregarded the values of our whole team, our partners, and much of our broader community. Our leadership team at Tripwire are deeply sorry for and 
are deeply sorry and are unified in our commitment to take swift action and to foster a more positive environment. Since then, uh, Gibson has released an official statement as well. He's said, uh, the comments given, oh, no, sorry. By now, you have heard of my exit as CEO of Tripwire Interactive. To the many fans, friends, and peers across the belief system that have reached out to offer care and support, thank you. It means more than you can imagine. For those upset about my exit, I encourage you to continue to support Tripwire and their many amazing partners. Please know that the owners and executives and executive team of Tripwire have acted with class professionalism and have treated me with great care and dignity, and I will forever be grateful for this. So, yeah, uh, it's... Wow. <laughs> that was something that, like... And, and I, I don't want to get into politics on this, but, like, just this, um, like, you know, showing and speaking out of his um, opinion on this really spiraled out of control. Definitely. And I will note, like, without... To get precisely into the nature of this law in Texas, what it does is that basically it makes it illegal for women to have an abortion six weeks after conception. And it is designed so that it is not enforced by the government, but it gives private citizens the right of action to sue anyone involved with abortion for up to $10,000. Yes. And it is designed to get around court scrutiny in a very particular way. But I will say, like, even with he is wrong in the comment that the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed it. What happened was that in a what's called the shadow docket, the U.S. Supreme Court basically declined by a decision of five to four to block it. But they are still going to review it in the future. It is still going to have to warm its way around through the courts. But that is different than uh, completely affirming it, because like that will take days of documents being filed, oral arguments, things like that. And there are a lot of good news sources out there for people who want the full story and people who are more familiar with the U.S. Supreme Court and the way constitutional justice or even various abortion politics we're not going to get in into any of that here but i did just want to give that little bit of context but yeah i will just say related to this this shows the trepidation nature of getting into very passionate controversial topics when it comes when you are an executive for anything but like especially in the gaming sphere yeah. and saying this like he this had an immediate effect on tripwire as a business and obviously his position was completely untenable with it when that happened and that just shows how like you know staking out these sorts of positions like publicly is basically completely untenable like honestly for for an executive in the in the, in the gaming sphere and what exactly those are like i mean there's a lot of them but this one in particular, like, is obviously something that you should not make your politics public to the to the public at large, like, or else you're going to face this. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's not so much that, like, oh, good, justice was served or anything like that. It's just like, maybe let's not say that. Maybe let's not come out and say something like that, you know. I think there's a uh, somewhat weird fascination as far as um, we as a consumer-based nation go with the the stances that our entertainers and our media sources go. 
that I, I think that we just like want to know. And then we find out and bad things just happen. So I it's always good to like if you're in a position of power, just kind of say, yeah, I have beliefs. I'm not going to share them, but I have them. Yeah. Like you can share your politics about like particularly antidine things if you want. But mm. this is probably the least antidine thing in America right now. Like there there might be a couple other things that are that are in that category that I'm I'm not even going to name because I don't even want to get into it. But like this in particular, like is definitely in the top three probably as far as like just the, the passions it it inflames. And basically guarantees that half of the country is going to be very mad at you and let this be a lesson. Yeah. To just as far as like sp- speaking out about about this, in the, particularly in the entertainment sphere, as you said, like a lot of entertainers are like they're they're pushed to be to be more political or or like or to be known like it depends on the person some people say they should they should shut up some people say they should speak out mm. that is politics in in America right now so yeah mhm i mean like hey maybe if he had said that he was uh firmly against jaywalking we'd be in a different position <laughs> but you know I'm, like you said it's it's not a small issue yeah, yeah it, a very very antonine thing there that would have been the would probably still have his job. But stories it's like, all right, this is strange, but <laughs> putting that aside, why don't we enter the realm of Tuesday's hype corner for things that are hopefully yes. more upbeat than that last piece of news? Uh yes, yes. I, I do have a couple things this week. Uh so uh, very recently on August thirty first NI uh Nippon I'm just going to say NISA cuz I'm I'm better at that. <laughs> go go for it. They they released a um collection of Phantom Brave and Soul Nomad for um Nintendo Switch and I believe on PC as well as Prinny Presents NIS Classics Volume 1. Very recently, they announced a Volume 2 which includes Makai Kingdom and ZHP. What's cool about this is that, uh, first of all, ZHP is a roguelike, so I'm all over that. But Makai Kingdom, um, the version that they are including is the PSP version, uh, the remake of the PSP game. Uh, that includes um, some new content, uh, some new gameplay balancing stuff. You know, as an NIS, ga- as an NIS game, you know, they get ported multiple times, they get a lot more content. The only reason that we didn't get this game originally was because at the time that it was released... Sony was like, no, we don't want any more sprite-based games. So this is the first time that the West will be seeing the um, updated version of Makai Kingdom. Uh, Very excited about that. ZHP on a big screen TV will look very nice. Uh, It's a a pretty interesting roguelike. It does follow the Mystery Dungeon system a little bit more than other games, but that is very exciting. Super jazzed about that. Um, And furthermore... The creator of Nier and Drakengard, uh, Yoko Taro, recently announced his new project that he has been working on. It is not connected to Nier or Drakengard. It is called Voice of Cards. It is, I believe it's a video game. <laughs> uh, he, he's got one of those weird, I'm not sure what I'm looking at, kind of approaches to games. It is called um, Voice of Cards. A unique tabletop RPG video game that will incorporate the use of cards. 
So right now it's just kind of been announced. We don't have any platforms just yet. Uh, all we really know is that it's Yoko Taro. Uh, it's not connected to Nier or Drakengard, but this is a new project that he has been working on. Uh, we got a little bit of art, got a little bit of coloring. It's got that traditional um, Yoko Taro kind of muted gray and pale color scheme. So hopefully we'll hear more about that soon. I am hoping that that's something that'll come to the Switch. Yoko Taro has said that he likes the Switch, and uh, I feel like it could. I feel like the Switch could use some Taro love there uh, in in the form of a game from him. But uh, so far, we're that's all we know. He has said that it will be an indie like and. Whatever this means, <laughs> available to access after downloading. So, <laughs> very interesting. No idea what it is. Very excited to hear more about that. Well, Yoko Taro does as Yoko Taro does. And I, I think after the success of Nier Automata, half by the game, half by, I guess, like all the freaking PVC figures I see out there of 2B. And that's just the legal ones, but... Yeah, <laughs> you know he obviously has some pull. Like, I mean, the the nature of like, you know, what even is this? Like, I wonder if he even fully knows at this point. It will presumably be a video game. Hopefully, it will come to everything. And like you said, the Switch. Like, if you're doing a card battler game, that's not necessarily going to be something as hardware intensive as Nier Automata was. So yeah, it's always cool to see what he's doing. He's one of gaming's most uh, interesting creators who like somehow got enough chances to finally hit it big and now i think there's a lot of people who are interested in whatever he does like i i even had a, a friend like I, who after like played on automata and i think it was i believe it was in their top five favorite games of the past decade after they played it and really loved the game and is now like gone back and like and played the the near remake and now wants to go back and play the dragon guard uh, and other things. And I'm not mm. quite as charmed by near as that, but I mean, it has shown like how he is definitely a figure of concern now. So yeah, for sure. He in, in ways, particularly with this, the title would be indie, like whatever that means. He, he reminds me a little bit of Suda 51. Yeah. Suda51 did something pretty similar, sort of similar, uh, maybe similar. You know, his status is, but uh, with Travis Strikes Again, uh, Suda did say that he was playing a lot of indie games and wanted to approach Travis Strikes Again with that kind of mindset. I could see whatever this is being something like that, having like a small, small, not super complex battle system, but could be memorable as well. So, you know... Voice of Cards exists somehow. Like you said, he's got enough pull to do stuff. I, I don't know if it was you that I was talking to or one of our mutual friends, but I said, I feel like uh, Yoko Taro just has a room in the Square Enix office that they just open up and throw money in sometimes. <laughs> it's not untrue. He's not quite a completely made man, but they obviously respect his creativity and are willing to let him do whatever. Like, as evidenced by by this being not a near game. I know there's that mobile near game that I hope yeah. I hope comes to consoles, honestly. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't like having to have game experiences on my phone, frankly. But 
Yeah, like, and the whole indie-like term, that's a perfect uh, wase uh, ego term, which is a, which roughly translates to English made in Japan, which is basically their term for, like, they will take English words and they will appropriate them, appropriate them for their own ends, but it will often not have a direct one-to-one meaning mm-hmm. because it is basically them using the English words for to mean something to Japanese people. And yeah, that is exactly that. I think I know what he's going for though, in that like this is me being made by Square Enix, so it's not obviously an indie game, but he's obviously going for that sort of feel. And the feel yeah. and the feel is is what's necessary. By the way, I will add like one thing I like about Sekiro is that there is no wasai ego in it. Like you'll like whenever you have any anything in modern Japanese, like they'll have English loan words all over the place. But mm-hmm. Said in Sengoku or Japan, they like nobody is throwing out any English terms at all, and I love it, and I pr- I appreciate it. And it's appropriate to, uh, to the time. Does does that game have dual audio, or is it only in Japanese? There there is dual audio. Okay, there is an English dub. Gotcha. But exiting the hype corner as we were, we turn over to our topic this week, and I want to lead off before we talk about the topic, which is. Going over the recent PlayStation Showcase. Yes. PlayStation Showcase 2021. I want to note a couple things uh, about our topics going forward, like what we might do. This was obviously like a quick decision that we had to make this past week because, firstly, like a lot of these big press conferences are not announced more than a week out and sometimes even less. Mm-hmm. And I want us to be able to be reactive to these sorts of things, since like sometimes something important will come out. I actually regret in retrospect that the Steam Deck we didn't make a full topic about that. I mean, we did give that pretty decent treatment, but I feel like if we that had been a full topic, we could have talked about it even more. And like, and that is a potential to be a huge thing for the gaming industry going forward. Who knows if it will be? But I do feel like it was important. And in this case in particular, like for the PlayStation Showcase, I did want Jim Ryan to come out and summon his stand, the PlayStation Showcase, and <laughs> or even even better if this if it was the PlayStation Experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, actually, like they, for this case, like very short notice that they were doing this. But like also, this is basically their stand-in for the E3 since like they didn't do it particular thing for e3 this is an e3 quality presentation that they did yes absolutely like 45 minutes worth of various game announcements and updates but then about 15 minutes of talking to different developers afterwards so like there was a lot there we could have covered it in news but like i feel like we could would have given it a, a bit of short shrift like because there, there was a lot in here and yeah. i want to make sure that we give it the full time and i and for us going forward like it is going to be this like we'll be talking about topics going forward as i said like samus returns we'll be talking about that in the future but like all plans are subject to change because again like i want us to be able to be agile and like and this is part of the just ongoing discussions me and tuesday have and like and also just the formula of sngp like just getting something comfortable at first like i wasn't sure i wanted to do too many special coverages like this uh just because like that's not how i initially envisioned the the topic too much like you know definitely e3 
and the game awards every year but maybe not anything else like what we'll see about it but like for this like again like i feel like sometimes it is worth blowing it out for a topic for something like this Mm -hmm. but although i decided to give some context here's let's talk about what was actually in the playstation showcase fall 2021 and they let off with something that was definitely designed to get people's attention and that is the remake of knights of the old republic which it's been rumored so heavily that i was like oh it hasn't been announced Mm. but it has been an open secret for i feel like at at least since 2019 really i didn't know that (laughs) yeah no it's it has been out there that they are probably working on this and now it's official Mm. and i'm excited about this i i like the original knights of the old republic a complete reimagining is probably necessary at that point like the original kotor was an xbox game yes and again like coming back from like once you go like pre-hd era of graphics it probably needs a treatment and at this point Mm. you should probably should remake it and that is exactly what they're going to do like the developer aspir has gone out and said like this is this is not just an hd version like they are remaking the game presumably doing a new take with the with the actors and what because that's another thing like that was kind of a seminal like that was really a landmark moment for bioware knights of the old republic because like the game was fully voiced Mm -hmm. they did cheat with some of the characters and have them like just speaking nonsense alien languages right but every character was voiced and I'm willing to bet that like everything is going to get a treatment. And and I remember the system of the game was actually ba- was based on the Star Wars system that was based upon the then current Dungeons and Dragons third edition system. Okay. So, in my opinion, would you want to also do another refresh of the gameplay? In my take, like yes, probably, as opposed to like that yeah. kind of hybrid turn-based system. But but we yeah. don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, my. Yeah, my thought with um, this is that I'm wondering if they're going to take a more um, action position. I I know that um, a lot of people liked Jedi Fallen Order, but I don't yeah. think it would follow that suit. But I, I'm most curious to see how the gameplay is going to go. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, like I could definitely see it becoming more of an action RPG than what it was. Yeah. And that might even suit it. I will say, like, one of the neatest things about KOTOR and KOTOR 2 was that, like, when characters actually, like, clashed with lightsabers, and this was more easy to do, like, when you have a turn-based environment, but, like, the lightsabers would actually clash. Like, it would actually look like they were fighting Mm -hmm. to a degree, like, as opposed to the typical RPG, I hit you, you hit me thing. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see. They teased Revan in there. Jennifer Hale gave the voiceover. She voiced one of the major characters in the game you obviously want to bring her back yeah because why why wouldn't you she's she's everyone's gaming mommy (laughs) and like reports are this will apparently be a timed playstation exclusive which would be which would be interesting like Mm. and it's worth noting this was the first of two remakes of previously xbox exclusive releases uh, in this presentation. Yes. But 
let's move over to the next game in the list. And by the way, like it was actually not trivial, like finding a list online for like the games in the order in which they were shown off. Uh, a lot of yeah, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of topics like it covered it in like a scattershot order. But like I, yeah, I did and like the big highlights. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the big highlights, obviously. But but like I said, this is a topic I want to be able to cover all of it. Right. And so with regard to that, I throw to you for the for the second game, Project Eve. Yes, Project Eve. We I had not heard of this game before this um, trailer came out, but it was it's this uh, interesting, like it looks like a little bit of spacey, a uh, little bit of horror alien stuff going on. We see uh, in the trailer a um, a woman of it appears to be Korean um, descent. I believe it would be Korean. I believe the developer is Korean. Yes, the the developer is Korean, and I believe they were speaking Korean. I understand zero Korean. Yes. I just know that like yeah. I like I understand a, a like a little bit of Japanese, but like Korean, not at all. And yeah. I, I can usually tell if it's Korean because, like, they have some similar s- syllables, mm-hmm. but like, but nothing conforms to like actual Japanese language at all. So it like it sounds yeah. a little similar, but like, it, but is complete nonsense to my ears. Yeah, yeah, I I was wondering that too um, when when they first started speaking because I have less knowledge of the Japanese language, but yeah, they were speaking completely Korean. And uh, what stood out to me is that this is an action game, like a stylish action game. Yeah. They had uh, some really fluid combat in there. There was, of course, there was this narrative uh, going throughout the entire trailer of, like, just humanity has been destroyed. um, And our hero, heroine, is kind of just roaming around the world. To me, it looked a little bit like New York. Maybe I'm wrong. Probably not going to be New York because it's made out of Korea. But it was some really slick, solid action there. It reminded me a little bit of a hybrid, interestingly, of uh, Bayonetta and Nier, the way that uh, she had a familiar kind of hanging out with her. But the action was very quick and spiky. We She does have a sword with her, and we did see a nice um, hint at the uh, potential Virgil at the end of the trailer. Um, with someone who has uh, it, it appears as though this is some kind of alien disease that's hitting the world because they keep talking about like parasite alpha formation or something like that. But it, it this uh, Project Eve so far, uh, we don't have a release date yet. Um, I in the preliminary research that I've done, uh, it lists PlayStation Four and Xbox One as platforms that it's coming to but a lot of this stuff that we were seeing uh definitely focused heavily on the playstation 5 but um that was a uh brand new announcement to me it it sounds like it had been revealed earlier but not to as big of hype as it got today yeah and and talking about it we we went over you said that was your the announcement that left you the most excited seeing project project eve Yes, absolutely. Like there was, there was another in the show um, that was also very ex- interesting to me. But this is definitely the one that I'm most jazzed about. It's got that, like I said, the action looked really slick. The monsters that we saw, there's there's a lot of blood and gore coming out when they explode. They're really creepy looking monsters. The I like the character design so far. I I also I'm also a sucker for some you know post apocalyptic alien uh, post apocalyptic alien invasion 
stuff that's pretty cool uh, it just looked really like it could be fun i hope that it steps away i know that there are some korean games that are action rpgs or stylish action games that come out that are very short i hope it is not like that uh because this looks like something that could be a very good time if it's a fully fleshed out long experience long like eight to twelve hours yeah like a good character action like time yeah and it's funny, like, how when this initially got shown off, my, my first thought was honestly, like, is this a Korean game? Because, like, there's just a sort of style that Korean developers make their characters. Yes. Firstly, like, you know, they're universally beautiful. Like, mm. there's, But there's a certain standard for Korean beauty. And, like, their characters, like, often have, like, a doll-like beauty. And you will see it often in their MMOs as well. And you see it in EVE, too. Yes. And secondly, like there were definitely some camera shots that definitely like showing her from behind. Like they were, they're like, yes. you know, yes, we've, <laughs> we we have we have put some time into this, and you are going to appreciate these features. And also, it seemed to presume that we knew things about the story. Like there are there are all these story things being put put up. I'm just I'm just like what what is even yeah. going on? I I don't even I like you know hey the action looks kind of cool, but like I'm just like this story is complete nonsense to me. Like I have no context for anything. <laughs> Oh, for sure. It's one of those games that I feel like is going to be like, yeah, we have this in-depth narrative and everyone's like, yeah, I'm just here for the action. Yeah, uh, like it, without without any context, I'm just like, I don't know anything about this world. Like, yeah. you're going to have to ramp me up uh, on it. But like, anyways, whatever. It, it does look neat. I did comment in like the stream chat of that. I was just like, that's the nicest PS3 game I've ever seen. That's just looking PS3 game, I should say. Like it just like it felt like a character action game from that generation. Yeah, for sure. Like with PlayStation Five graphics. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see like this. I, I feel like we're seeing a little bit more of this, like Korean developers trying to make a push into the console sphere and not just in MMOs. So like, so yeah, we'll we'll see if how Project Eve does, whether the name Project Eve st- starts. That's not a terrible name. Usually you don't keep project names. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and like you said, like it apparently was announced before. I I had not heard of it. But yeah, that is a that is one to watch for. For sure. They follow that up with a trailer for Tiny Tina's Wonderland. This is the latest thing from Gearbox developers of borderlands this is obviously a borderlands spinoff though looking at it you might be thinking like why doesn't this why isn't this just called borderlands it sure looks a lot like borderlands and to that point like that was like my expectations for this were not particularly high but i looked at this and just it just went like this is just the formula that they have been using for the past 10 years with a new coat of paint on it yeah like I, I'm sure for some people that will do it for them, but like honestly, this is kind of the feeling I've had like ever since like Borderlands Three was first sh- shown off. I was just like, oh, like we're not refining the formula much at all. We're just kind of mixing things around, having some new characters, some new abilities, quip quip, bunch of guns. Here we go, and this kind of feels like this with kind of a D and D theme to it. Like it's mm-hmm. there's still a bunch of guns. There's still a lot of the characters. Like even the modeling, in my opinion, like looks like something that was I don't know, like very early PS4 generation quality graphic. I wasn't impressed with the looks. So yeah, yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think 
The only thing that looks a little interesting to me, and I have very little in, uh, knowledge about the Borderlands series, is that it looks like maybe there's like a new, uh, maybe a little bit more of a focus on like powers that like are actively used against monsters. I, I did like the quick clips that we saw of isometric gameplay. I hope that that sticks around. I like me some <laughs> isometric gameplay. But uh, it, yeah, it just did seem like, like, I'm wondering why this isn't like a DLC for Borderlands 3. That is a good question. And I don't know how, how long it's going to be. I don't know how isolated this campaign is going to be from anything going on in Borderlands 3. But yeah, for those reasons I mentioned, like, this is the most disappointing thing that was shown off there. Like, again, like, not even like that my expectations were all that high. But I looked at this and go like, yep, I guess that's what this is going to be. I'm just like, I'm not sure I have any interest in this. Come back to me, Gearbox, when you, I don't know, like do something new or have a new idea. Though I will add that like, just in a corporate sense, like uh, something I didn't realize until recently that like Gearbox is actually part of the Embracer group now. But I believe the publishing rights for Borderlands and its and sundry characters are owned by 2K. So they continue working for 2k even though they're owned by a, another larger entity but in other trailer news there was also forspoken yeah she... that yeah yeah that was actually the other game that kept my interest the most there there are a few others but these project eve and forspoken for me were the most interesting ones and i was actually surprised because forspoken seemed to start very similarly to um, the way that um, a lot of these uh, Life is Strange trailers start, with a character who is down on their luck, is a little bit different from the people around them, and, you know, just has these big dreams, and I'm like, oh, just another one of these games. And then all of a sudden, she kind of falls through a portal into another world, and is given a uh, magic bracelet, magic gauntlet, it seems, and all of a sudden has... yeah, that, that is talking to her and is very sassy. Not sure how I feel about the sassy yet. Uh, I need to be sold on a sassy character. I'm, <laughs> I'm not quite sold on this one yet. But she has magical powers now and is after a quest for, like, essentially what is an evil queen. It's a very... The story doesn't interest me as much as the gameplay does because the gameplay, again, very fluid action. She was moving around really quickly in the gameplay. In contrast to Project Eve, uh, this seems to be a little bit more of a third-person shooter um, with magic in it. We saw like her use like ice magic um, around enemies that are near her. Um, at one point, it looks like she was using um, pieces of debris around her as like a um, Gatling gun on her wrist. That seemed pretty cool, and it was like really inventive and interesting ways that she was using magic that like aren't necessarily seen often. Uh, there was a scene that she was just running across a uh, translucent platform that she had created underneath her. So that that was something that really caught my eye. It's like, this is something I haven't heard of, but definitely is really interesting and unique. As far as the story goes, I think it's probably going to be one of those games that like I'm just going to skip the story and play the gameplay. <laughs> the, the big thing that, like, the kind of red flag that hit me is that this is just an isekai. <laughs> You know, I was actually going to say that, and I was going to hope that you were that you wouldn't go like what, but no, we are on the same page. Like as soon as I yeah. saw this, I was, I was just like, 
Are are we just doing an isekai? We are just doing an isekai. <laughs> yeah. Which for the uninitiated means another world in Japanese, but like that is a particular genre of fantasy wherein like a person from our world is transported to another world, usually a fantasy setting. And that is exactly mm-hmm. what Forspoken is. A woman from our world yes. is transported to another world and she's a uh, you're you're a wizard harry or something like and she's yeah <laughs> but yeah like i like by contrast to project e which as i said was the nicest looking ps3 game i ever said like there was no doubting this is a ps5 game like she is leaping around the environment like things are happening that feel very new genish like it's yes not even possible on a on a ps4 without serious compromises right so a lot of moving around, like, you know, and yes, like, all of the magic, as you know, like, you know, some cool stuff that looks interested, but, but man, like, whatever the characters were talking, I was, I was just like, who wrote this? Like, yeah, I was even posting it, like, again, in the streaming chat, like, when she said, like, you know, freaking dragon, like, I, I was just, uh, yeah, you know, typing yeah. with all, ca- all cap, freaking dragon, like, it's, the main character is as embarrassing as, like, every other character I heard speaking in this world, like, so, mm. I don't even really know what to say. Yeah, to your point, like I, I hope that this isn't going to be another. I'm here to kill chaos. Quality. Of yeah, yeah. Story. I was just going to mention. You know, it's it's got as bad as uh, much uh, strength as uh, chaos. <laughs> but yes, there there is some questionable writing there. But other than that, like I, you know, that's got some potential. That's got some potential. Yeah, and uh, it's also another square eating joint, apparently. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming early <laughs> to next bring year. it back to that kill chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Scheduled for early next year, so we're gonna see it soon. Apparently, it has a limited time PS5 exclusivity. Now, following on for spoken, we had another look at a game that we've already seen, and that is Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Extraction. And it's really hard to comment more on, like, it gave no more context than what we didn't already know. You're in a world with a bunch of bug alien things. You're going in and you're uh, bug alien zombie things. You're going in, you're, because it's Rainbow Sitch now, like, you're breaking down walls and shooting things. And you're also, I love the one stream I, I watched, like, there was a part where the narrator said, and we leave no one behind, and there was, like, somebody encrusted in alien goo that like was yeah it was like extracted out and one of the streamers was like you know maybe you should leave him behind yeah just maybe leave that one behind yeah like like maybe that that person is a little too far gone but yeah i i mean what is there to say really yeah anything to add on on what i've said about rainbow six extraction <laughs> yeah in our in our kind of like pre chat about this um I mentioned that that was the one that I just didn't care. Like, you know, I I feel like I, and I felt this way a little bit while now about Rainbow Six and a lot of those Ubisoft games in that kind of uh, gaming sphere is that they all come up with this really interesting premise. And then I see gameplay and I just am immediately taken out of it. And like, I, I feel like, like, I, I get it that they want to create a cool and unique story. But, like, to me, at the end of the day, I just don't feel anything when I see it or when I play it. I'm just like, eh, all right, fine. 
Like, there's a very clear detachment from me and the story and, like, the cool stuff that is happening. And I'm like, I want more of this cool stuff instead of this boring team-based gameplay. It's like, if you're out there and you are super jazzed about this, great, congratulations. I just wish I could care even a fraction about Rainbow Six. It's just like, yeah, whatever, fine. Like... I just see all this cool, exciting stuff, and then I get bummed that it's Rainbow Six. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Like, there's, I think I saw in the chat, like, somebody saying, like, you know, the now typical Ubisoft bummer. I'm like, you know, yeah, you're not wrong. That's kind of the yeah. dire- direction they're headed in. This game has apparently been delayed a couple times. It was obviously renamed from Rainbow Six Quarantine for obvious reasons. But. <laughs> But yeah, as as noted, like you said, like this was your the most disappointing game, and I kind of can't disagree with that to a degree. Like I just don't care about it. Yeah, I, and I remember I remarked in the stream like when somebody said like you know like what makes this Tom Clancy exactly? Yeah, and I, and I res- responded to them the title <laughs> because that's it. Like yeah, yeah, this could be anything. Like again, like with the that other multiplayer game that I'm just has slipped my mind. The one that like Tom Clancy's punk rock mosh pit, like, <laughs> which is even a worse use of the license than this. I think. Yeah. But, yeah. There were a lot of comments talking about like, and you know, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the well-known Xenoverse within Clancy, like just for this, it, cause it's just like, what are we even doing now? Like, and I, it seems like Ubisoft is really good at making the most generic looking online service games that are, designed to just appeal to a very broad audience who wants to potentially come in and just i don't know like play it for dozens of hours i guess like yeah i mean rainbow six siege gets a lot of players like that's that's a popular game so like it's like we're just kind of stamping out like things of that that sort of quality and focus and like yeah as you said like it's yeah (laughs) it is disappointing to say the least yeah, if it was like a free game that like you would pay for cosmetics and extra weapons or something, I could put some time into that, but I'm not going to I'm not going to do I'm not going to pay money for that. Yeah, I don't I think think it's actually going to be a paid game. And that's another thing about their service games that they like launching them for money. Yeah. Like I said about before about Ubisoft and boycotting or whatever, like it might not even make a difference if they don't produce a a thing that I give a single care about. But. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But speaking of things that are hopefully slightly more exciting, like this is the other former Xbox exclusive. Why don't you take us through Alan Wake Remastered? Alan Wake Remastered was announced. As far as we are aware, this was actually also announced earlier this week that it was um, a thing. But this is now officially confirmed to be coming to um, not only PS4, but also PS5 uh, this October, too. So... It is worth noting that it is just a remaster, but it's a remaster of a very good game, so that's exciting. Um, When I was watching this, it it did bring me back to... I was actually in middle school when Alan Wake first came out. Holy cow. So it brought me back. It brought me back to those times, but um, it is a remaster of the original game. It's got... Some pretty okay graphics. Uh, could be could use a little sharpening, but uh, it is a survival horror esque game. There's a little bit more action than um, other horror games from the time, but um, yeah, it's coming very soon. 
stars a writer who is in a small town with his wife. Uh, and uh, one day they're on vacation and things just start going real bad. And that's the setup. And it takes a lot of cues from Twin Peaks, as one would expect. But that is exciting. I might actually get that game. I, I really did like Alan Wake when I rented it back in the day. That can't really do so much anymore with video games. You mentioned Twin Peaks, which is not wrong, but you didn't mention the most obvious comparison, which is Stephen freaking King. Yes, very. Yes, I I apologize. I actually should have said that. Yeah, I mean the main Alan Wake the, is very king. The main character himself is an analog for Stephen King, and one of the yeah. first lines of dialogue like quotes Stephen King. I remember that, and like they mentioned Stephen King in the game at least two other times. Like there are multiple instances, and the influences like. Anyways, I could <laughs> I could go on about like how on the nose that game could be yeah. on certain things. I, I know some people yeah, are, yeah. some people are into that. I, I kind of wasn't, but the creator really loves Stephen King for sure. The game is as much of a love note as something possibly would be. But yes, like that was previously like I believe Microsoft published that, but yes. Remedy retained the rights to it, and apparently Alan Wake and Control are now set in the same universe or whatever, but they are... This is appropriate, like, I'm willing to bet that a lot of people haven't played that first Alan Wake game, and if you're going to be pursuing more Alan Wake in the future, like, doing a remastered version for current-gen systems is a smart idea. Absolutely. Do we do we know if this um, also has American Nightmare, or is it just Alan Wake? I don't know that. That is a good question. Yeah, we don't know that. I would expect that American Nightmare will probably not be part of it. But hopefully... Yeah, I I feel like... Yeah. Hopefully all the DLC for Alan Wake will be part of this. Like, it has to. to. Like, this is like the entirety of that first game. Yes, for sure. But uh, it, you mentioned it's survival horror. I would actually describe it like it's it's a third person shooter. I would say like yeah, it it it, it is it's more action like it's a third person shooter where you have to shine a flashlight on things. Yeah, I'd say it's almost action horror. Yeah, a little creepier than Resident Evil Five, uh, which is definitely action horror. Yeah, that's fair. It is yeah, action horror more than survival horror. Like I I don't yes. recall it being a especially. A difficult game and there's also just like not enough resource management to really make it survive for but anyways like speaking of re-releases like they also showed off gta 5 and gta online for ps5 which again like you know for a 10 year old game rose to the level of warranted being part of this presentation and that is because that game continues to sell it got pushed back to march that's kind mm-hmm. of the news coming out of that though like that was coming this year but it's coming out in march and these are the particular versions. I think these might be upgrades for free upgrades for people on the PS4, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Regardless, and like I've noted before, this should sell a lot. I'm expecting it to sell a lot. And it just shows like the continued success of this. Like it's funny how like in the in the stream I was watching for this, there was a lot of comments talking about like, you know, this, you know, was the story of, the, of GTA 5 good? Because I know like some people really didn't like the story. Some people thought it was okay. And I do think, like, that's really the sticky wicket for, like, a GTA 6 is, like, you know, is satirizing America now. Like, I feel like America now is closer to actually the America depicted in GTA 3 than it was back then. 
Yeah. Like the GTAification of America has kind of happened. So yeah. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you parody now? And I don't know. Like, they'll hopefully find something. But yeah, like releasing on a third platform, it's it's like Skyrim. It just it just keeps on getting re-released. Yeah, they're they're just like the code keeps making itself. We can't stop. <laughs> as soon as people stop buying it, maybe they'll stop porting it. But. But after that was something that I'm sure excited you a lot, and that was a new trailer for Ghostwire Tokyo. Yes, earlier you had asked me um, if that was the game that I was most excited for, and I won't say that it is, but it was. It's definitely a unique game, and I'm drawn to unique. Also drawn to Tokyo. Uh, also drawn to this game seems to be a little bit of a kung fu horror game in a way. Yeah, which is the weirdest combination I've ever uh, you know thought of. This is um, a new game from, uh, what was the studio that made Evil Within? Tango Gameworks. Yes, Tango Gameworks. So this is a brand new IP from them. I I don't know if you've played um, Evil Within 1, but this gave me a lot of, this reminded me a whole lot of the first Evil Within 1, the way that uh, our antagonist, this guy in this uh, somewhat traditional Japanese mask, is kind of hanging out around a um, figure of importance. Uh, Very similar to some stuff that happens in Evil Within 1, but... It was a huge, well, not huge, but I would say it was probably the biggest chunk of gameplay that we've seen for this game so far. Uh, It gave us a hint-ish at the story of the game. From what I gathered, it appears as though our protagonist has died, maybe? Uh, (laughs) Which would explain the ghost wire part, maybe? And it seems that there are monsters all around him. They are mostly faceless. There is a very striking uh, female antagonist with scissors, uh, also very similar to Evil Within in one of the um, antagonists from that. But yeah, it looks pretty interesting. I'm I'm definitely curious to see how this um, kind of kung fu uh, hand symbols works. Um, I think this is actually something that I'm going to wait to hear a little bit more about um, instead of jumping on the hype train right away. But it does have uh, it does seem to be following a lot of um, Japanese folklore. Uh, with the ghosts and monsters that we see. Like I mentioned, that uh, femme fatale with the scissors, uh, she does follow the um, traditional uh, kind of Japanese ghost uh, with the hair over the eyes, hair over the face. Mm -hmm. So it does look like it could pull from some Japanese folklore, which which does have some creepy tales. So I'm excited to see more. This is one of those games that, like, I feel like at every trade show, it's like, yeah, this is still coming, this is still coming, and it'll eventually happen but we're just kind of being drip-fed more and more footage, and I, I thought it was a pretty impressive trailer for what it was. Yeah, I was actually... I, I feel like I have a better sense of what this game is going to look like now when it's also going to play. I really love the interplay between the ancient, mystical, foreboding, cursed Japan and the hyper-modern scenes of Tokyo. Like, I feel like... Yeah. I feel like those are kind of the, like, two-berailing aesthetic images of japan and they usually are mixed but they are in in ghostwire tokyo and i want to say i'm completely into that yeah yeah it's it's a very uh really cool looking game yeah i i like the i I like that striking is how i would would describe it yes yeah very striking it looks almost a little bit cyberpunk in a way but it does lean heavily into um japanese uh fashion and designs and stuff yeah yeah 
So I left impressed by that. Like I liked all the the enemies, as you as you noted, like are are usually completely faceless. Yeah, it like it looks like it's going to be an action game, like probably action action horror, as as we noted. Yeah. Like it's coming together. Like uh, going to be coming next year sometime. We didn't we didn't get a solid date, but I think it's quite a quite a looker, and I. I'm looking forward to see, seeing more. I'm I'm definitely intrigued. Like sometimes, like sometimes I feel like this is just a product of getting older. But sometimes I'll I'll see a new thing and like my my eyes were kind of glassed over. I'm just like you know, eh, do I have to devote a care to this or not? But like, but Ghostwire Tokyo, like I'm like you know, this is a new thing and I'm and I'm kind of keyed into this. I want to see more. Yeah, for sure. Tango GameWorks does really uh, cool stuff with um, reality and stuff. In uh, Evil Within, they did some really cool stuff with space spatial reasoning so i'm excited to see what they'll do definitely and the speaking of things that like you know again eyes glass over things like that there was a new trailer for marvel's guardians of the galaxy dude i was looking at the thumbnail and i'm like i wonder if i wonder if this one is next <laughs> that is next i don't know what what to say about like it's I do think the cosmonaut dog, like I know that's a Guardians character, he, like that seemed kind of amusing. Like that, that's a good, yeah. that's a good striking character design. So I'm, I'm glad that's in there. But yes. almost everything else, like again, like whenever, like whoever they got to voice Peter Quill, like, gosh, I hope it's not Troy Baker. I'm gonna be, gonna be embarrassed because he might show me up. But like. I don't know. They want everything to be funny like those Guardians movies, but like I have yet to laugh at a single thing that I have heard or seen in this game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> there was that scene where he was asking like the cosmic face, what are our chances of success? And the cosmic face, I don't even remember the name. Like you said, eyes glassed over. Um, it was like 0.03%. And he's just like, is that bad? It's like, yes! What? Yes! Like, what are you, an idiot? Can you not do basic math? Like, it's less than 1%. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I guess the answer might might be like, you know, yeah, Star-Lord is kind of an idiot. But, it, I mean, we're, we're getting down into, like, uh, Evangelion percentage numbers for success. Yeah, and you don't ever want to reach Evangelion numbers of success. And I... Although I have to say, like the whoever came up with those numbers was completely off their rocker because it it obviously wasn't as unlikely as we presented sometimes. Yeah. But anyways, that's a topic for another time. But it was all story. There was no yeah. real gameplay. Like I, I mean, I guess I guess the game looks okay. Yeah, all all the, all the I... characters read as what they should. Yeah. They they do have good designs. I like the character designs. Sure. Um, I yeah, like Gamora's yeah. like striking black and white suit in this. One thing that I will note is that I'm forgetting the name, but in Marvel vs. Capcom three, they had one of these. I think they're Cosmo soldiers, something like that, along the lines. Um, the designs that they have for those in this trailer are very nice as well. Like I said, the designs are nice. The action, I will say. It's leaving a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. It looks a lot like that Avengers game that came out that I heard real bad things about. I, I know that this game is single player, but that's not what you want to make me think about. Yeah, I, you definitely don't want to think about that game, the Avengers, rather. Yeah. Not if you can avoid it. And 
believe the character you were referring to is Nova. Yes, the Nova, yes, the Nova Corpse. Uh, yeah, they have a great design in this series. Yeah, yeah, I, like, I see that, like, and, yeah, like, they gave them a whole new design. And, and like, props to the artists, like, these are basically all new treatments for a lot of the characters, yeah. so, mm-hmm. you know. So, like, yeah, they, then that is not a criticism. Like, everything reads as they should, but it's also unique. So, like, at least the game is a looker. It definitely reads yeah. Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, even, like, I was just kind of surprised that we were getting a ticket, but then I realized it's coming this year. It's coming October, so... Yeah, which is crazy soon. That's two months. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's appropriate to be getting another update right here. But mm-hmm. but after that, we had Blood Hunt come out, or a trailer for it come out. What are what are your thoughts on on Blood Hunt? Blood Hunt is something I don't want to get excited for, but it does look pretty sick. <laughs> I I personally am not a huge multiplayer game person. The the problem that I have had in the past with some of these horror multiplayer games is that they get boring because they're usually very one-sided in that like the killer is always the winner. I like that this is everyone is the killer and everyone's <laughs> got guns, everyone's a vampire. There's just blood everywhere. That's pretty cool. I'm afraid to get excited for this because I don't want it to be another kind of Tom Clancy Rainbow Six or Rainbow Extraction kind of thing. But it does look pretty cool. It's pretty stylish. You know, they definitely nailed the style of Vampire the Masquerade upon which this is yes. made off of. And I feel like that's like that has been a license that has been very up and down over the years. So mm. they they got that that right, at least as much like I, I'm not gonna claim to be an expert or anything, but I, I know kind of the basic structure of the world and some of the houses and whatnot. But like, I will say like, you could tell that like that was gameplay and not something pre-rendered because it looked, it looked a little rough in places. Yes. It looked rough in the way gameplay sometimes does, but especially game kind of gameplay sometimes does if you're a mid-level developer. Mm -hmm. It was strange too. Like I felt like sometimes the, like, I don't know if the average like if you're just not running all that much, but it felt like the average walk speed just wasn't that fast. Yeah. And and like you could randomly charge. So like, anyways, I don't know what to make off this. To your point, this strikes me as a game that like you would be totally into if you were talked about in the abstract. And then if you're told like, you know, and it's going to be a battle royale, you go, oh, and kind of like Aliens Fireteam Alpha, like that sort of reaction. Dude, I was like, just yeah. going to say, you know what game this reminds me of? <laughs> Aliens Fireteam Alpha. <laughs> yeah, like in that you were like, you know, yeah, like look at this, this is gonna be cool. But then like that is completely a multiplayer game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I noted it to you because like that's not usually what, what you go after. So Right, yeah. Hey, maybe this is a bonus mode for something coming out. No. <laughs> it looks it looks okay. Uh but it's probably something that I'll probably like passively enjoy instead of actively getting into. <laughs> That is fair. We had, with one week away, we got a final trailer for Deathloop. Maybe not a final trailer, but a big story trailer for Deathloop. Got more action. I don't feel like there is much more to say. Like, it doesn't add much more except, like, a little bit of story context that, like, there are these, I think, seven geniuses that are locked away in this self-enclosed prison, and they're basically having a 
1960s party for forever. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to break out of it as the main character. And there's a character with whom he has history, who she is always trying to kill him. And, and yeah, just more mood stuff. Some interesting physics stuff. You could tell this was definitely an arcane Leon project. And yeah. that like there was some weird physics stuff. I did like the effect where he knocked open a vending machine and it spilled out a bunch of stuff and a character walked towards it and slipped on it. Yeah, the goon fell over the gumballs or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, they, that is exactly what happened. Now, I was like, you know, I, I can appreciate that. So Arcane likes its simulative physics in its games and this is obviously continuing that. That is obviously going to launch as a PlayStation exclusive, I think for about a year again, like very awkward. There's a couple like this and Ghostwire, like both exclusives, like, you know, both in the awkward positions of just like, you know, these are games coming from from Bethesda and like, and they're now actually properties owned by Microsoft. But yeah, I feel like you have an opinion on Deathloop or not already like prior to launch. And this probably didn't do anything to alter anyone's opinion. Yeah, it looks fine. It's a little like this trailer was really quippy. It's a little too quippy for me. <laughs> That's fair. But I, I I like the idea in it. We'll we'll see how it goes. Game developers, quips are not everything. <laughs> God, like I mean maybe the soft on the ground for me, but just things like for spoken's dialogue made the it made what was ever in a death loop much more palatable. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Because it, it it at least felt like a professional writer touched it, but yes. But after that was the game that I know a lot of people saw and they liked. Uh, why don't you take us through Tachia? Yes, Tachia. It was. Um, it looks like a. It looks like a nice, peaceful little game. I am reading that it is a tropical adventure. The gameplay that we saw shows the main character kind of body hopping between uh, different objects, which is pretty cool. Uh, of course, there's also human gameplay where you uh, explore around the island that you're on, explore around the ocean, but you can also, as I mentioned, body hop between stuff, which gives you a new dimension of exploration. They showed off swimming around as a turtle. It seems like there's some kind of story going on between the main character, Tachia, and a boy that she is hunting who they say has is bad to the bone, uh, but I it seems a bit too cutesy for something like that. But it does look nice. It It's another one of those games that, like, Sony has a weird penchant for, for making, like, something that's really bright and colorful and maybe has a dark tint to it. Um, I know that a lot of people felt that way about Bug Snacks, but this, this definitely has that kind of, like, nice, peaceful, zen look to it. This is another thing that is is you don't expect in their showcase, but, like, it, it shows that Sony's kind of looking for a bit of diversity to put on the PS5, and this is something that'll definitely reach that audience. Yeah, yeah. They're casting a wide net, let it not be doubted. Like, I, a lot of people were making Zelda comparisons, but, like, I would actually say the... It kind of reminded me a little bit of Super Mario Odyssey and just, like, possessing yeah. various things. But but, but whatever, it, it is it is trying to do its own thing. There are some cool new ideas in there. Like, it's... Very different from like most of the other games, which were which were kind of hyper violent. Yes. Uh, at the presentation, uh, like I fe- like I feel like people left it uh, positive on Tachia and and wanted to see more. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's a date, but yeah, like looking forward to seeing more of Tachia in the future. For sure. 
And after that, uh, we got into the Sony PlayStation Studio as part of the presentation. And we let off with Uncharted Legacy of Thieves, which is Uncharted 4 and Uncharted Lost Legacy coming to the PlayStation 5 in a singular collection. They're remastered ports for the PlayStation 5. So I'm Naughty Dog is usually very good on the techno aspects. They did something yeah. very similar for The Last of Us and actually like all of the un, uh, the first Uncharted trilogy on for the PlayStation 4. Mm-hmm. So expected to come early 2022 packaged together obviously. And it's uh, notably coming to PlayStation 5 and PC as well. This is a PC port. So and I know that it's been rumored for a while, for uh, Uncharted 4 at least. It's not a huge surprise that Lost Legacy is coming as well. But Yeah. This strikes me as Naughty Dog getting an opportunity to like get some work in with the PlayStation 5 hardware, which is exactly like what porting The Last of Us did for them last time. Like basically porting some acclaimed games, uh, putting them in a compilation. It's worth noting like this isn't going to be like there is no upgrade path for the PlayStation four versions of these games. This is a new collection. So mm-hmm. those games are, are what they are. They, I'm sure they will look very nice. Yeah, it'll be fine. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, got a look at God of War Ragnarok, which got confirmed. Why, why don't you lead us through God of War Ragnarok a little bit? Yeah, um, that is a uh, direct sequel to God of War from 2018. It follows Kratos and his son... Atreus. Yes, Atreus. (laughs) And it largely um, seems to be that Atreus is wanting to learn more about himself, learn more about uh, Loki, and kind of like... There's this hint that the only way to really go forward is to start a war... And um, Atreus is all for war, and got and uh, Kratos is saying, "All right, let's dial it back. Let's maybe not be psychopaths right now." So it it definitely looks to expand upon the story from the 2018 game. Really, um, looks to be uh, also continuing the gameplay from that uh, with really slick, solid action again. Yeah, it, that was some really nice action there. Uh, God of War has always had pretty good cinematic action. I remember that scene where the um, like lady comes onto the boat and attacks Kratos, and as he's pulling up his shield, her knife gets through the ending parts of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to be like a uh, in gameplay moment, or if it's going to be a cutscene. But the the cutscene to gameplay transition for that game looks to be like very difficult to distinguish. But most notably, uh, I at least most notably to me is that it looks like the Blades of Olympus are going to have more use this time around. It looks like they're going to be back to their somewhat restored selves from the original series. Furthermore, used alongside the um, axe from the 2018 game. So that that looks pretty interesting. Um, it looks like it's definitely going to be very story-focused, very story-heavy on kind of trying to prevent Ragnarok. One thing that I did note is that Atreyu... Uh, Atreus uh, continues to be kind of the moral center and wants to uh, prevent people from getting hurt, which is very different from his dad, who's, you know, kind of all about that uh, that blood and gore lifestyle. It looks that they are teasing Loki, or not Loki, sorry, Thor at the end there, 
with that guy who's like, you look to be a reasonable man. Are you a reasonable man? Hovering above his uh, hammer there. So it looks pretty interesting. Yeah, I, like they did. They did actually confirm it. Like they they confirmed certain details. They actually released the character design of of Thor, and it's a very a striking character design of Thor. Mm-hmm. He looks classically barrel chested. Okay, in that like in that he is a guy like who not only loves to fight but he likes to drink beer. Like he just <laughs> has a he he just has that sort of look. Like as opposed to like a sculpted look. Yeah. He is barrel chested and big, and and as they noted, the director actually came out, and it is worth noting about that, like the Eric Williams, who's been with the series since the beginning, like he has taken up the director's reins. Corey Barlog is is not directing it, and Barlog kind of hinted that he might be working on some future project, some other project for Sony Santa Monica. But yeah, like the series has actually been famous for like having a different director for every game. Like, Barlog was the exception when he came back, but games have also been known to take a lot out of the the directors. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Barlog himself described himself as exhausted. But as you noted, like, they they have evolved the gameplay from the the first game. Have you played God of War 2018? I have not played that game. (laughs) Okay, well, I, like, hey, like, anybody with some attachment to like those games and liking character action games at all i would honestly recommend it it's also like it's a beautiful game like this follow-up is similarly a beautiful game glad they aged atreus a bit i predicted that they would just because that makes sense yeah his developments as a character like to go from young boy to teenager to like probably young man if this is going to be a trilogy but yeah and the the tall guy they encountered was apparently Tyr, who is the Norse god of war. Uh, the woman who at- who attacked Kratos is uh, Frigga. She like due to the events in the first game, like she has a blood debt against Kratos, so that's making go to the promise for her to, her to show up. And I'm sure like my guess is that Thor is going to be the primary antagonist of this game. Yeah, it just makes sense to me that. He's the antagonist of this, and if we're going to make it a trilogy, Odin Allfather, he's going to be the primary antagonist of the final one. Yeah. Like, we officially kick off Ragnarok, and all the gods are fighting, and, and Odin is in the last one, because that's just how you structure it. But yeah, like, it looked extremely good. I, as you noted, like, you know, loved what they did with the action. And yeah, like, there's... It looks very solid. Like, I think named for a early... 2022 release we shall we shall see when it comes out it looks really far along yes it does yeah i i also like that atreus uh atreus is going through um some age in there uh, he's got a deeper voice now i think we were talking about this a little while ago that like i feel like kratos is reaching his last entries uh you know with uh, atreus i suspect that or you know maybe would anticipate that kratos might be hitting his last stride here and uh, Atreus is going to take up the reins from here, but we shall see. We shall see. To me, like some people were asking, like, so would Atreus take the reins out of this game again? Like, if I was the writer on this, I would honestly have like that be at the end of the trilogy. Yeah, maybe they hand off to to Atreus, but yes. like that's. I'm sure they only have the vaguest of plans for that right now. Sure, sure, <laughs> but. I decided moving over to the thing that excited me very much, and it's 
not very much was shown off. Mm-hmm. It was a man at a bar with, with a cowboy hat on. He's in the bar. Like a bunch of people are have been messed up in the bar. A guy is going over to him. And like at first when I saw that, a lot of people, like they flashed up Insomniac uh, Marvel and people were going like a Spider-Man. And then like it kind of turned into Spider-Man. And then like when they prominently focused on like the rough looking guy in the bar with the cowboy hat, I was like, no, that's Logan. <laughs> and sure enough, with that, it focused on his hand of the hand of the bar with the other man approaching and Snicket's the blades come out and it's Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And Insomniac is making a Wolverine game, and I am so up for that. Yeah, I know that you said you were most excited about that, and I can get behind that. Yeah, like I, I realize that it is probably a little ways off. Like and this shows how like, you know, Insomnia's output is crazy yeah like within the past year they have outputted two major triple a games but uh and i will say like you know two insomniac credits like you know every studio has a different culture like they have a no crunch culture Mm -hmm. and they still manage to output it so like that's good for them but yeah like if if anybody is going to do right by wolverine like they they would honestly be the studio that i would pick yeah i'm guessing a ways off but but yeah, we will see. Like that's a, I have to assume this is going to be a PlayStation exclusive, since like again, like Insomniac owned by Sony, even though like Sony obviously doesn't own any part of the license of the X Men and the Wolverine. Like, but we'll see. Like, or or maybe it'll have a exclusive window. Who knows? But mm, yeah. Anyways, very excited about the potential in Wolverine. That does look hype. I just hope that it's not a uh, origin story again. I feel <laughs> I feel like we've seen a lot of Wolverine origin oh, stories, man. but uh, and this the stream I was on like t- talked about exactly that. That like one of the things they liked about the Insomniac Spider Man was that we didn't have to do Uncle Ben. It's just like you know, look, he's been Spider Man. Okay? Yeah. Like, and it's true. Like, we we don't need to go through the Weapon X program. Like, yes. Just have him be Wolverine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I feel like mid-stride Wolverine is where they should set that game, because uh, late-stride Wolverine is depressing. <laughs> that is most definitely true, but yeah, like there are things you can do with Wolverine. There's an interesting cast of particular enemies to him, but also the X-Men. Like, yeah. I hope that turns out, and I also hope that is a hard M game. Oh, yes. Where he is just murking people. Oh, yes, that would be perfect. That is what I want out of Wolverine. I want him to be cutting up people with his claws. Absolutely. But part of the reason why it might be a ways off is the other game that insanely when Somniac showed off. Why don't you tell us about like the little teaser we got of Spider-Man two? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was really little. Um, it showed us kind of this, <laughs> uh, desolate CD, pretty busted up, uh, city street with this narrative of like this guy who's, who sounds pretty old, pretty pretty sick of stuff, uh, but it shows off. Um, we got like some nice action shots of Peter in the Insomniac Iron Spider design uh, with those claws taking down some baddies. Then surprise, up shows Miles Morales as well, showing off his powers. He's got like some energy kind of base powers going on there. Again, the trailer is kind of like, who is the one to defeat me? It shows us a nice shot of both uh, Peter and Miles standing next to each other. Uh, they stand in front of a alleyway, and then the alley goes into the dark portion, and then we hear a voice says, 
yes, it is us to defeat you. And then we see a quick glimpse of Venom there. Uh, and then we get the Spi Spider-Man 2 logo. So that's pretty exciting. I'm a big fan of Venom. I really like me some Venom. Also, it has been revealed that Tony Todd is going to be voicing Venom. Tony Todd is yeah. uh, notably the coroner from the Final Destination movies, more known as the Candyman. So that's freaking cool. Yes, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. They got the voice of Tony Todd. He has an awesome voice. Yes. And... That is an inspired cast for Venom. So absolutely, that's there are going to be some nice lines from that. Yeah, I saw some talk like back and forth whether like okay we have two Spider Mans like is this going to be a co op game? But they didn't actually announce or imply anything about that other than having Miles and Peter standing next to each other. And it may not be. I mean, like you controlled multiple characters mm. in that first Spider Man game, so like. I'd be a little bit surprised if it was a uh, multiplayer game. I'm willing to bet they'll do what some of the Batman DLC did and have you switch back and forth between the two characters. What I want to know yeah. is if Venom is playable. <laughs> That's a good question, then. It depends completely on like Venom's place in that story there. And yeah. That looks cool. Like It's... It's kind of incredible, like, again, like, after outputting... Within the past literal calendar year, like, they have outputted two games and they're already teasing their next two projects but yeah but that obviously shows like you know they're they're up for it and ready to go spider-man 2 not too surprising like just given the incredible level of success that, that has had but it's yeah it is always good to confirm these things absolutely also shown off was a trailer for gran turismo 7 cars and stuff cars look very nice coming to both playstation 4 and 5 that's apparently coming in march it's been a while since the last proper Gran Turismo game. It did look very nice. I will say, like, I I looked at it and go, like, you know, I I don't usually go for Gran Turismo games, but, like, I looked at it and go, like, you know, but this one, maybe, like, I, I mean, just, I feel like I am always slightly interested, but then I find out about more of the details, and then I'm like, you know, nah, you know what, like, actually... This this isn't the driving game. Like I play mm. very few games dedicated to driving by itself. Yeah. Uh, and I played a little bit of three A spec back in the day, but like it's just I mean to progress in that game, it involves like more driving around very like the same tracks over and over again. And mm -hmm. it's good for them that this is coming out. This seems to be hitting before Microsoft gets out its first proper forza game like not the horizon games but like the forza motorsports game on xbox so that's a bit of a coup if if that happens for sony any reaction to to cars tuesday uh the headlight uh shot was pretty nice does ferrari actually do that do they have their logo in the headlight that is also a light that's pretty cool <laughs> that sure sounds like something ferrari would do yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, driving game fan, but uh, the cars looked nice. They they went fast. That's all I got for that one. <laughs> That's fair. Like, the things are looking nice. We're starting to really reach diminishing returns on how nice cars and the track can look, but, but they look really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I won't deny that. And as noted, it has been a long time since GTA 6. They had, like, GTA uh, Sport, I think it was, last generation, mm -hmm. uh, which was very devoted to actual sport driving. Mm -hmm. But this is a numbered one. Yeah, so... Porsche, I apologize. Not Ferrari. Porsche. Porsche, yes. All of these Italian muscle car 
companies are very they each have their own particular licenses so yeah it's um, probably actually as Porsche but not Ferrari if I had to guess yeah yeah car car game <laughs> I, I feel like it's a legal obligation you must have one car game <laughs> yeah that's fair enough so yeah I believe that was everything at the PlayStation showcase yes just to say about my thoughts in general i thought it was generally a, a solid presentation like they're i appreciate that they're still trying to do things like this like because like again like this is a very e3s presentation with just like the amount of stuff it covered mm -hmm. both sony's own stuff and also third-party stuff some of which is going to have an exclusive window some of which is not i was actually kind of surprised that they like microsoft loves the heck out of telling you when things are they have exclusive content or exclusive release window or exclusive whatever before the presentation they'll usually flash up and, and the announcer will say exclusive yeah and they'll say what it is but it'll flash up for like a half second and you won't see that like an exclusive skin on xbox or something like that i i mean like there's some more significant ones but like they'll hype up the exclusives even when like the exclusive is like exclusive release window or exclusive whatever and in this case like sony did not lean into that with much of this at all yeah for sure but there was a lot of stuff most of it is peg for next year like early next year looks to be potentially very big for them like yes. we got horizon which got shifted back and god of war and Gran Turismo 7, like that's all early next year. It wouldn't surprise me if one of those didn't get pushed back a little bit just to give some breathing room to the others. But mm -hmm. that's a potentially very exciting next year for something. Like there's plenty of stuff, like, and definitely a lot of surprises. Yeah, for sure. I, like, I, I was like, oh, sorry. I was just going to say that, like, you know, the amount of new games uh, completely surprised me. And it's refreshing. Like, yeah. This was all, like actually mostly. Eh, was a mo well, there was a lot of new games here. I'm not going to say mostly in the breakdown, and I appreciate that. We're we haven't broken of that. Like it's the start of the new generation. It is time to try some, if not some new ideas, at least some new intellectual properties. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I've said this before. I feel like the fall of 2021 is definitely um, Nintendo's game. They have a lot of stuff that is coming out month by month by month. I feel like this was a big show for Sony because this shows them that, okay, we see you, Nintendo. We're going to just take the early half of 2022, you know, with, I mean, <laughs> with Gran Turismo, with probably God of War, Ragnarok, Forspoken. That's probably going to be at them early. You know, they they have a lot of heavy hitters coming real soon. It's just, you know, got to like, and I mean, for those who did not play Uncharted, you know, that having those two games in early 2022, if you got a PS5 and you're kind of sitting around, that's going to be a surefire hit, you know? So they definitely, and like you said, there was a lot of new stuff. I, I think definitely the big hitters were um, Wolverine, just the promise that that's coming. Spider-Man 2, a lot of people are excited for. Knights of the Old Republic, that's a big one too, you know? They got a lot of stuff that like shows that they're promising. I'm actually kind of surprised I was expecting there to be honestly more of a gap, like as far as for the next generation, like just for the pandemic mm -hmm. interfering with development and like, and that was going to slow, but like, or probably like even more about some of these projects, like they've obviously been in development for a while, but yeah, still looks like there's going to be plenty of solid releases going in next year. And Sony's still like, if you think about God of War, Gran Turismo 7, 
and Horizon. Like all of those games hitting next year, like that that's a pretty good year. Yeah. For Sony, I would say. It's a good thing for Microsoft they had the wherewithal to like do something like Game Pass because like I think I think series would be like really, really hurting right now after this if like they did not have that offering. Because like even for something like Psychonauts 2, like you know, Double Fine finally outputted it. Yes. And, and like they obviously own them, but like because of previous commitments, like that game is coming to everything. Yeah. Like the, that game is coming to PlayStation because like it was it, it was like a I think a a fig game, which is another crowdsource fu- funding thing. Like yes. so, like you know, so that's coming to PlayStation. That's not an Xbox exclusive at all. But one thing Microsoft does have is that is available as part of Game Pass, along with the first Psychonauts. Mm-hmm. So that's the argument it can it can make for itself. And I know a friend has recently been playing through Psychonauts, and that like. The first Psychonauts is a wonderfully creative game, but also just a hugely flawed to play. Yeah, uh, hugely, hugely flawed. I'm not sure if you've spent any time with Psychonauts, but uh, I have not played it, but I have seen it all the way through. Okay, okay. In some ways, a superior way to experience the craziness of the story and the sharpness of the writing and the wonderful nature of the zany story without having to deal with. A very subpar platformer. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, so any final takes on the PlayStation Showcase from you two, say? Uh, I think I got everything I wanted to say. Uh, definitely hyped for Project Eve. It looks cool. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, one of the bigger surprises. Definitely want to see more and like see if this Korean developer can actually deliver on this character action game. Yeah, that was one thing that I was uh, uh, thought while I was watching it. I was like, this looks like a nice concept that will be canceled in three months. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the case. It's funny because there was another game by a, a uh, Nexon subsidiary. I'm blanking on the name, but it is a shooter game that had grappling hooks and another South Korean-made game. And I looked at it and like... And it was Project Something Rather. Mm-hmm. And that obviously did not warrant showing off in the this, this showcase, but it was it was something that PlayStation posted on its YouTube channel. But I looked at it, and the top comment I thought was very present that, like, you know, this looks like a game that will get canceled in the middle of development. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that it, it didn't look bad or anything like that. I thought, thought it was doing some neat things with, like, shooting and grappling around environment and whatnot. It just had this look of like, you know, this game is still kind of searching for itself and who knows if it's actually going to come to fruition, which is like the perils of, of AAA development, frankly. Yeah. But anyways, that was the PlayStation showcase. Thank you, everyone who has listened to our complete recap of it. I hope that you find some value in this. Yes, thank you, everyone. And next week, we are going to be shooting to be doing Samus Returns. But who knows? Like, maybe maybe early next week, Nintendo will be announcing that there's going to be a huge direct, and we'll be covering that. But we are going to remain loose and flexible about that. But we're always going to be looking to have topics in the pipeline. Exactly. But anyways, we hope you all will... Join us for that next time. Yes. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.